One, two. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that wields the mighty power of the song story to get our guests to open up about themselves and their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guests today are Michael and Jordan Von Cannon. Dr. Michael Von Cannon is a teacher, writer, podcaster, and instructor in the Department of Language and Literature at FGCU, where his teaching and research focus on modern American literature, the blue humanities, and composition. He's co-creator and producer of the Ernest Hemingway-related show One True Podcast, and is currently co-editing the final volume of Hemingway Letters for the Hemingway Letters Project. He also casually plays a Martin acoustic, a Fender telly, and a Getch drum set. Dr. Jordan Von Cannon is an assistant professor in the Department of Language and Literature at FGCU and co-coordinator of the Gender Studies minor. She works on 18th and 19th century American women writers and is currently completing a manuscript called Idle Women, which considers female resistance to U.S. industriousness in 19th century narratives. In another life, she played the violin, was in show choir before Glee made it cool, I didn't realize that they had made it cool, but I guess so, and danced ballet. We met Michael via his work on the One True Podcast, and when he mentioned his wife also teaches at FGCU, we thought it was time for another twofer. Hey there, you two. Hey. Hey, Mike. Um, you guys are like straight up Luddites. You got a, you got a, you, <laughs> yeah. got a you've got a, you've got a iPod. The sure. old school one sitting in front of you. I noticed when well, I looked you up that you guys weren't on social media. No. Uh, so I was like, oh, look, so they don't do social media. And then you pull out the iPod and then you, you know, so explain your um, aversion to technology. I, I wish it was a better story, but this is my iPod from high school that uh, Michael slowly started adding all of his music onto and it still works and it's been our iPod ever since. But his aversion to social media is a much more, I think, one grounded in ideology than mine is. Well, I mean, you know, I think when MySpace and Facebook were coming along, it was like, that's cool. I don't have so many friends that I want to, like, keep in touch with in that way. I also wasn't so technologically advanced um, that I thought I knew how to do that kind of stuff. And then that wave kind of swept by, and then I wasn't able to even if at one point I wanted to, and how it's so far out there that I'm like, yeah, I really don't want, you know, I, I just, I don't really want to. I'm not criticizing you because you've made the right decision. You, your face but, seems to suggest, but okay. But, but what I want to push back on is the fact that there are billions of billions of users and you think they have something you don't? You said I just couldn't, no, this couldn't was, catch up. This was, no, we, this we've was, got something that they don't now. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. This was like high school, college, that right. mentality. At this point, it's like I don't even care to do mm. it okay. any, anymore. But no, this yeah, this is the iPod. We have an iPod Touch that it's just we don't even really touch it, I don't think, because this one's so much cooler. Yeah. It's so tactile. It's I remember, still fun to use. I haven't and, seen one in a long time. Yeah, but, you know, we have, we have a record player at home before record players were cool out of urban outfitters and all that kind of stuff we have mm. an old one at home and you know we've always been a little bit ahead of the curve of like things coming back around and being really cool behind culturally and there's a term for both that. behind and ahead <laughs> um, so how long after you guys started dating and kind of got serious did you draw the connection between your names and basketball great michael jordan <laughs> Well, Mike, this is a really hard question because we we started we we started dating when we were what now is very much like 
kids, like, you know, babies. Like, we were really young when we met and started dating and dated for a long time before we got married and have been married for 13 years now, but together for almost 19, 20. And yeah. So it's it's been a long time, a long, long time. Yes, yeah, so we were in high school when we started dating. So, I mean, I know I'm, like, anticipating the song choice. This was, like, really hard to pick song choices from before. We started dating to go back that far to, like, middle school, early, early high school years. But in terms of Michael Jordan and his greatness, I mean— I didn't really think about it until people were like, oh, hey, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. But I was all, I mean, I was an MJ fan and a Pippen fan and a Rodman fan. When, Did like, that kind of tickle you when you realized it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. a really nice feature of our relationship. Did you, you watch know? The Last Dance? <laughs> yes. Yes. Wasn't that great? Yeah, it was Isn't that great? Amazing. Fantastic. The Bulls oh, yeah. documentary, if anyone has to see so that good. Yet. Yeah. Um, who got their PhD first? This is funny. We oh. got them at the same time. Who walked across the stage first? <laughs> Jordan. I did. Jordan did. Do you guys yeah. ever call each other doctor? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Not even in jest? I'm trying to think. I think in jest. I in think jest sometimes I will. call you professor yeah. in jest. And yeah. sometimes he tells me, like, you're using your teacher voice yeah. when I'm explaining something. She probably calls me do- professor when I've done something, like, stupid. It's right? slightly yeah. sort of, yeah. 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 No, more something inept. Like, when you, you know, you, you come across a lot of, like, people in academia that, I mean, as we all are, right, are, are somewhat helpless. You know, like, they may be very good and specialized at the thing that they're good at. But in terms of, like, maybe other things, just like regular life, it's very challenging. And so I think when we run into those things that regular people can do that we can't, we're like, Oh, this is the professor. This is a sweet way to say that she calls me that when I've done something stupid. Yeah. (laughs) So if you guys started dating when you were teenagers, yeah. Yeah. Who chased who? Mm. I'd like to say that this was mutual. I think we. I think, I mean, we were in different grades. And so I was the same age as his sister, his younger sister. Oh, so cool. and little we sister's were, friend. Yeah, we were we were friends, and we knew each other from high school, and we knew each other from uh, the church that our families went to, and I I think that probably I was interested in him. You know, I liked him. I he he had something about him in high school where he was just. There was, like, a quirky component to him. You know, he, like, wore, like, old man 1950s polyester shirts, and all of his stuff came from the thrift store and, like, women's clogs. And he was in art, and he was in ROTC. Like, he had this real eclectic personality that I He was I in just ROTC, thought, and he wore women's clogs. He, okay, yeah. I would like to say the clogs were in the men's department, but whatever. Yes, but I did wear clogs. Um, <laughs> but he had just, like, this this kind of, like, implicit confidence and kind of, like, being weird yeah, in who yeah. he was that I— I would just thought was like the most attractive thing about him. But I don't think that I ever thought because he was older or anything. I, I figured that he would see me just as like his sister's young friend in a lot of ways. Yeah. No. And, and or so I thought. <laughs> no. And J- Jordan, I mean, she's at that point and certainly has moved on um, to today. You know, her sense of humor, I think at that moment, um, not to say my sister doesn't have a sense of humor or like the friends at that point didn't have a sense of humor, but like Jordan's sense of humor was one that I got and we got each other on the same levels and still do. And, you know, I didn't I wasn't thinking about it so much at that at that point. But as you get older, you really do that. There are very few people that you get and who get and who get you on so many different um, levels. And 
So I, I think it was very mutual and maybe mutual for different reasons um, that we um, started to kind of like kind of eye each other. Um, but yeah, we knew, we knew each other in different circles from high school and then uh, church for sure. It's funny how you described his, his style because when I looked you up for the Hemingway <laughs> podcast, your picture on the FGC website, my first thought was – he could be a time lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that's going to be the Doctor 14. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. Okay, so it's time to get into this. Um, who wants to go first? Because what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of you know, go mm. through some stuff about the musical background, and we're going to get up to your first song, but one of you guys has to go first. We're not going to try to weave it all together. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you go first, Grandpa, because you're older than me, so you – you start back a little bit earlier. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I can. That's funny. I actually put him second in the script because oh, I thought for sure he would say, ladies. "Honey, you go first. No, no, no I'm, I'll absolutely go first. <laughs> okay, so let me make sure I got this right. Okay, I do. So, um, so where'd you where'd you grow up? I I was born in South Carolina, but grew up same place Jordan did, east coast of Florida, um, Rockledge, um, near Cocoa Beach, Cape Canaveral area. Okay. Yeah. Um, beachy background lifestyle in your, you know, were you close to the beach or was it just like when you're in Fort Myers, there's a beach, but do you go? I will tell you, I did not spend much time at the beach. Um, I think it was partly because I didn't know that one should apply sunscreen until I really got around Jordan and her family. It was not something that we really did. So when I went out in the sun for, you see, you see, you see. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would burn intensely. You just saw um, the beach as dangerous. Oh my goodness, it was terrible. I didn't understand why people did it. Um, I, I I I lobstered up um, <laughs> after after about thirty or forty five minutes. It's like this is terrible. So I really didn't spend much time there. Okay, so how would you describe uh, the music around you, the musical background, like around your house, your friends? What was paint that picture? Yeah. Um, like early, I mean, so, so I mean, Jordan was mentioning, uh, you know, growing up um, or, or seeing each other in uh, churches, things like that. I mean, for me, it was it was much earlier than that. I kind of grew up um, in in the church, and I say that kind of kind of bigly in, in the church. Um, uh, my my grandfather is a Southern Baptist preacher, or was a Southern Baptist preacher up in South Carolina. Um, my dad, in, in a lot of ways, um, kind of works in, or has worked in that capacity. My uncle uh, is a pastor. And at that point, uh, growing up on the East Coast, he was a pastor of a church. And we kind of grew up in that uh, church environment there. So when you talk about music, a lot of the music uh, that I was growing up with was, you know, it was music related to, um, it was, you know, it was hymns, it was uh, uh, praise songs that were connected uh, to the church. So when I think about my upbringing, you know, I think about those kinds of songs. My parents were part of um, kind of a... a, a oh, what a, was it called? They were... They were the, the join heirs. They were part of a four-person kind of uh, acapella kind of singing group. Barbershoppy? <laughs> it was, It was. you know, I, Elmo. More, I mean, more choral. Less, yeah, yeah. yeah, fewer yeah. harmonies, I think. I mean, that, yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, that was the music of, of my childhood. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and so they're like, they're like songs that I go, I still go back to. Like my parents have this, had this song that they would play for my youngest sister. She's nine years uh, younger than me. And it's like this, uh, it's this uh, religious song that they would play at night. And that song is like, I don't know why it is, but it's very melancholic uh, to, to me. And like, there's Do you like, remember what it was called? Yeah, sleep sound in Jesus is the song, and my don't play it because it like the emotion, the emotion. I can't even describe what it is, but like the sound do of you it. Seriously, mean don't play it, or do you? I'm saying like how, not, how soft, no, how soft it yeah. is, and how just melancholic it we is. Can, 
We'll, we can put some. I'm in joking. Here. I'm joking. Pitch Richard. shifted into a, a, a major key. <laughs> Just get some. Get yeah. Get some drums. Go. No. But, no. But, no. I, we'll play it under, but we won't play it here. So you. Oh, don't have okay. You don't I'm, have to hear I'm, it really now. Mess, I'm really the messing. I'm really messing with you. People who are listening to us right now are hearing it. Oh, good. See how okay. that works. Nice. Best yeah. of both worlds. This is this is the yeah. This is the best. You've you've. Uh, allowed some kind of trauma to not say no but it's yeah I mean when you ask me those questions those are the things that I go back to as as a child are those kinds of songs but at the same time like country was really big uh, for for my family and for and for me when I was when I was a, ch- a child kind of growing growing up uh, whether it was like um, you know listening to Alan Jackson and maroon Chevy s10 with my grandfather Pappy or like with my with my uh, parents and uh I can't tell you how many times we watched the Shania Twain televised concert uh, <laughs> with them or listening to Chet Atkins with my dad or, you know, I mean, so country was big and so were a few other musical genres. Um, but that's kind of where I go. Uh, did you play any musical instruments as a kid? As a kid? Um, no. Or when did you first start playing? It wasn't until later on. Um, you know, it wasn't until really the the drums um, that I started playing when I was in uh, mid high school. Was that because of band or because you joined a band? No, I never. So I never joined the band. This is a. This is a. Uh, you just got drums and learned how to drum. Yeah, yeah. I never. Yeah, I never joined band or or orchestra. That was another thing that attracted me to Jordan. She was. She was in orchestra and also in choir, and so she knew. She knew how to read uh, music and. <laughs> What do you mean? I knew how to read. I still know how okay. to read. Okay, fine. Okay. She, she, played, so she forgot she, how to read. She, she plays. <laughs> she plays. She played violin and all these kinds of things. Um. So so you know, I I taught myself um how to play how to play the drums and I guess I was what, sixteen like yeah. full, like drum kit drums drum kit drums. Yeah. So and the reason was what were you drumming along to? Like what were your like early on like you know was it Sister Christian? My my buddy learned how to drum to <laughs> Sister Christian. No. Man, I'll tell you I'll tell you what it was. Play, I, I, I bet I heard him play it a hundred times. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you what was happening. I was listening to so I can take you to the house I was in. But I was listening to Matchbox Twenty, yourself or someone like you. Is that the the name of the album? Mm-hmm. But I was listening to that album. I can't tell you how pivotal that album was. Um, for, um, <laughs> but but I was like, you know, I want to. I may want to play guitar to this. To, I want to learn to play guitar. And my, and my parents knew uh, a kind of rocker guitar player. Um, you know, they would they would go hear hear him play on the beach at some clubs, and and he had he had you know a whole slew of different kinds of you know Fenders and um, Gibsons things like that. He let me borrow a Fender uh, Stratocaster, really gorgeous guitar. It's, I mean, this was amazing for a kid who knew nothing about guitar. Um, really kind of them. And so I'm trying to play along to these songs. And these are probably three or four chord kind of songs. That I, knew, I knew nothing. And I was, I was like, these, this is really difficult uh, to, play, to play these songs. Um, you know, I'm not playing Queen. I'm not playing anything yeah. like that. And then, and then I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I gave up. I, and I, I, I can give up pretty easily. Or at that point, really, I could give up pretty easily on these kinds of pursuits. So I'm like, you know what I, you know what I hear? I hear drums. I hear what what I I didn't know it was a hi hat, but I hear a hi hat. I you know so I'm like so I'm like playing air playing air drums, right? And I'm like, listen, mom, dad. Um, I know that for about five minutes I was thinking about guitar. Um, thank Mick for letting me uh, uh, borrow his Stratocaster. But I think I might want to learn drums. Um, and it was you know a couple years later, um, maybe about a year later that that the drumming really entered the world as not air drums, uh, but actual. Uh, drums and we'll, and we'll and we'll get there, but it really started with that particular that particular um, band. There were a few other bands uh, 
No Doubt, other kinds of bands were, were big at that moment. But it was that band and that album um, at, that, at that moment that kind of shifted my attention uh, to drums for sure. What was the first um, music you owned? Oh my gosh! The first music, first yeah, like, like album like that a I CD owned, or whatever. I mean, honestly, something with a physical presence. I, it was it was that. It might have been it might have been an Usher album, honestly, at about that point too. Or there were, um, I, again, like I said, I I mean, it was, it was about that moment in in life that I was starting to own uh, different kinds of albums and kind of um, think of my own musical taste as very different from my parents. Uh, um, and, and sisters kind of musical taste. So, um, but I was, you know, um, Usher was big. Um, um, like I, uh, just a few other kinds of, uh, uh, bands and artists were, were big at that point. But I, but I, again, I think I go to Matchbox who were, they were pretty big at that point. Did you ever get roped into singing at church? Oh yeah. <laughs> I could, I not only got roped are you, in. Are you comfortable singing? I mean, yeah. I mean, I could um, yeah. if I had he, some music. No, no, no. He just wasn't. But, he he played the drums at church. Eventually, in high school, he learned how to play the guitar, um, and he's a very good guitar player. What do you mean? I learned how to play. I still know how to play. And then he also, for a while, was uh, kind of like the main music person at the church. Church when yeah. he was in high school, oh, like yeah. You hadn't tied and, those knots. Well, together. I not, well, I'm not there yet. In terms oh. of time. It's like it was later. It was later on in in high in college actually that I, I did more of that, actually singing. Richard played in his church's band for years. Really? Yeah. yeah. You, what, what instruments? Uh, yeah, so I am a mostly on stage. I'm a guitarist. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Asian family, so uh, my parents broke in piano on me. They were just like, mm-hmm. you're old enough. You're going to start playing piano. I did that for a few years, and then I taught myself guitar because once you learn to play piano, mm-hmm. you can kind of, you know, you can learn other stuff. So I played, I played guitar for all the way through eighth grade through graduation and then i played here in college nice that's, that's pretty amazing. amazing i'm learning how to play guitar but my very talented guitarist boyfriend i can do two mostly songs green days brains too yeah. Um, yeah. and alice in chains man in the box that's a big jump so <laughs> that, those are the two that i have so far yeah <laughs> what great songs to like learn yeah. like yeah. initial songs to learn yeah and I think what I remember of Michael playing the guitar when we were in high school it was all like folk rock it was all like Beatles mm. and Led Zeppelin and Bob Dylan yeah. and Van Morrison. Were you playing acoustic these at are that my, point? These are my clog days. Yeah, these were. Uh, it, oh yeah, I mean it was a lot of a lot of acoustic folk music. Steel string. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean this was like. Um, so I mean I'm just remembering like a lot of you know a lot of James Taylor at that point. A lot of. A lot. I mean, certainly a lot of Bob. I mean, we would do like fundraisers, right? Bob. Yeah, yeah. a lot That's of like Dave. A lot of fundraisers, and then like you might you <laughs> might get a CD, right? And you could pick the CD, and people were picking CDs that had just come out that year. And then I'd go down the list, and like you know, there'd be a compilation of. Bob, I'm like that's the that's the one I'm or or to be James Taylor and yeah that's the one I want right there. So he was always an old man, like even you know it's like that older soul kind of thing. Do you have? Uh, do you still? Are you still able to play Bob Dylan songs all the way through and sing? Bob's. I mean, he's hard for me in the sense that I still probably need like a lyric and chord book to to play some of that music. Like you, you, like if I listen to like you know, don't think twice. It's all right. I need 
to see the the chord shifts and things like that. I went through ten years ago and really forced myself to learn, like you know, Mr. Tambourine Man, like the yeah. long ones. You know what yeah. I mean? And if I did it now, I'd probably not get very far. But if I got some lyrics out, I bet I could learn it back up in like three tries because it was so gratifying to be able to do like fourteen verses and have it. You oh know? my gosh, from memory? Men- yeah, yeah, from memory. It was just like a mental challenge for myself, yeah. basically. I think maybe very like nice. uh, you know, Forever Young or something like that. I could maybe do that. There were like three chords. On that one. Um, okay, it is time for your first song, or the for your 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 song. It's time for your song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this was probably the you know the year after I said, hey, you know, drum. Let's do drums. I think I can do it. Let's look at me. I can. I'm talking to my parents. Look at me. See, I can keep time. I'm playing the drums in the air. I think I can do it. Um, guitar was terrible. Um, and so the reason this song kind of came to me out of the ether, as it will, uh, when, you, when you ask, like, what, what songs, is because it's, it's the first song on the uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers' Californication album, which was another really pivotal album for me. And when I think about learning the drums, that's, the, that's one of the albums that comes to mind. I can't, I can't listen to that album without thinking about how, really, the, without thinking about learning the drums to that album, right? If I'm listening to a song, I'm kind of going back in time, trying to figure out um, just different parts of it, right? Different different rhythms, things like that. And so I go back to a different house that I was in, um, a house that I was in. Um, it, this was, I guess, Christmas Eve of maybe 99. Um, we were all, I guess, in a tizzy about Y2K and things <laughs> like that, right? Um, and so it's, it's Christmas Eve, and this is one of the last... Um, cr- Christmas Eve that I can think of as a kid where like you're really excited about what's what awaits you. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't sleep um, because I can hear the little elves are out there um, and they're putting together a drum set. I know they're putting it together. I can hear things are kind of clashing. Um, and they tried clanging. My, my parents tried the best they could. They <laughs> didn't know how to put put a drum set. Um, uh, had to had to uh, assemble it, but. Um, you know, the the next morning, there it is, and it's and it's a great beginner set. It's a it's a couple hundred bucks, and it's it's great for for uh, me to learn on. And it, what was so fun about it, you know, lo- looking back, I have a I have a Gretsch drum set now. Looking back on it, what was so much fun about it was like trying to get good sound out of it, right? Like <laughs> tr- trying to. We were talking about Apollo thirteen before this. Trying to Apollo thirteen this yes, drum set yes. over like our soundboard over <laughs> yes. over you know the course of months because if I if I hit the one of the symbols the hi hat uh, two symbols too too hard they would. F- they would kind of flip up, and then, and, <laughs> and so I, and so in the middle of like playing a song, I had to kind of flip them back down, and so all these things that you wouldn't have to do on a really good drum set, you're like having to figure out how to gave do you a different kind of feel, though, right? Oh, Maybe. It was, yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, I had to use so many, and, and you know, drummers shouldn't be doing this, but so much duct tape and different kinds of things to like <laughs> silence the drum heads because they were really just made out of cheap plastic. These are not really good um, drum heads at all. Um, and you know it was it was really great. We had a friend from the uh, the church who kind of he he was in the air force and he grew up listening to Led Zeppelin and he won a number of drum competitions and he kind of looked like he belonged in Led Zeppelin. Um, <laughs> and uh, like he he could uh, be John Bonham like in a way like he he could dress up as John Bonham. And he taught me how to play the drums. And so you know it was a, it was just a really fun moment in life to be. Uh, uh, 
to be learning on that set, learning different kinds of just learn, learning different kinds of musical styles on it, and trying to make do with a really uh, inter <laughs> interesting, uh, terrible but terribly fun uh, kit. Well, should we listen to the song? Oh yeah. Um, you already said it, but I'm gonna say it again. It's uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers "Around the World" off their 1999 album "Californication." When was the last time you played along to that? Years, honestly, really? yeah, because I haven't played it. I haven't played it really recently. You have a drum kit at your house. Every time, right? And it's it's it's. What it's do you drum to instead? It's like a sadness. <laughs> <laughs> no, every time I play right now, my two year old wants to play with me, so I can't rock out yet. And I'm not. I'm not upset. It's great. And he's I love not a very my, good drummer. My, my two year old is not. Oh, I thought yeah. you, she was saying you were. Yeah. I, don't, I think she no, kind of is saying that. Not only is he a two year old, but he's not really very, very good drummer. I think she, I think yeah, she actually is kind of saying that. Yeah, I'm rusty, is what she's saying. Um. It's been it's been a long time since I played that, and I'm thinking while I'm listening to it that it probably gave you a little bit of a wrong impression that I really like rock, like that, that I drum to really rock in music a lot. And some of the and my favorite part of that is really when it gets to the chorus, when it's kind of just riding a little bit and it's grooving. Those are my favorite parts of that song and scar tissue. There's another song where it's like it's porcelain and it's just a hi hat. And it's like that was a really fun song for me to learn how to play because it's like you really have to learn time. On that song, because mm. you're just trying to figure out if you can hit that high hat at the same time Chad Smith is hitting it. Um, you know, one of the memories I go back to with this is at the time I'm learning to play, I had some friends in high school, and they're like, let's start a Metallica band, like a band that only plays Metallica. I'm like, okay. I mean, are you sure you, sure you want me in this band? I guess I'm the only one who knew kind of how to play the drums. So we, we did. I have the drums in the garage. We play for a couple... You know, a couple little, a couple sessions, and they're great. These guys are great. They have Jackson guitars, and I forget what the bass is that one kid's play. And and then at some point, I get pulled out to the to the car, and it's at the end of the garage. And one of the guys is like, "Listen, I hate to tell you this, but you know, you're you're out of the band. You're you're just not you're you're not playing hard enough. You're not playing like Lars." And it was like, I t I Did wasn't you ask upset for another chance. No, I. Uh, no, because I wasn't upset. I I totally got it because right before I was playing that, like like they came over. I think I was playing some collective soul. I was playing like Shine or December or something. It was like I totally get what you're saying. Like I'm probably not playing hard enough for your Metallica cover now, band. Now you have me imagining Lars playing Shine. Now. <laughs> Isn't that great? Right? Uh, yeah. You you don't like heavy-handed drummers though. I remember we we went and saw like the Paul McCartney concert because. Michael really loves Ringo, like as a mm -hmm. drummer, as a musical performer, and and not liking Paul's new drummer because he's a really like he's a great drummer, but he's he's a bit like heavy handed, and you yeah. you had like a number of complaints. Yeah, I you know, and I just you know I, I don't like drum solos. I don't yeah I can't listen to Led Zeppelin's Moby Dick. I can't listen to those kinds of songs. It's just not in my the kind of style that I like, and so you know that's another memory that's kind of. Connected. Is that the only so, band you ever were in? I was in no. a George Clinton funk band for a little while with, with uh, a friend. 
a and friend. A, and a few Did you others. know him? I told you about. Well, uh, there was another band that he was in that kind of went into college that grew out of the church called Cly Zimmer. Still have a T-shirt for them <laughs> back at home. Yeah. Um, which was mainly like, again, a, is it, a is this, is, Are you remembering this for the first time? Oh, <laughs> I haven't remembered this for so long. Oh, but my goodness. But he played the guitar in that one. And then one of our Insane, really good yeah. friends was like the lead singer. And which, you know, he was another one where like we had a lot of friends that were musical. And, you know, so our one friend, he played the bass really well. And he had like a great song. We heard what was the song that we heard where we were like, that sounds like Jonathan. Yeah. And it we was, had another friend who was just... I mean, exceptional on music, and he played. Mm-hmm. He played like the mandolin and a few, mm-hmm. the violin and a few other instruments. I mean, just a wonderful musician. So, yeah. oh yeah, uh, was your first song on that thing? Yeah, it should be here. I mean, well, can we are confirm? You, oh yeah. Can I? Oh, you are you? Do you want to scroll me? through the list because it, it? I think it reflects can I, the kind of. Can, can I, I just see? hold it and, and do? You the can scroll. see. Oh, yeah. Why don't you see? So can I? Can I just see if it is? Because I. I never owned it, one because I'm anti Apple. It, 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 it's I right there. Before, it was it's cool right there. Yeah. Um, it is there. It is right there. But you can go back and see other. Hey, Mike, hold it up to the mic real close. See if we can hear the click. Yeah, I want to hear the clicking. It doesn't have the click. It's it's. We might have had like a wheel. Can you hear it? Yep. Oh, oh yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just nice. Nostalgia. I'm, I'm playing purple. It brings stain. you back. I thought it was going to be purple rain, but then it turned out to be purple stain. That's fine. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it's not. We have no headphones, so it's not going to play. Play, but there you go. Yeah. Um, okay, Jordan, it's your turn. Thank you. What was the musical background of your childhood? My musical background was really different from Michael's. Uh, my parents are children of the 60s and 70s and so everything in our house was classic rock all the time I mean they really don't go past like maybe 84 with really any of their music and they they loved it I mean a lot of my memories are waking up like Saturday morning and my dad blasting music in the like out of the garage or like in the downstairs where he had like his Bose surround sound speaker system and it would be Led Zeppelin, or it would be Neil Young. It would be uh, CCR. It would be the. My mom loved the Eagles, which you know I feel like there's a <laughs> a joke in there for that. But there's, you know, my parents they really loved uh, music. Like you know, hundreds and hundreds of CDs. They went to as many concerts as possible. Like in terms of the number of performers that they saw in concert. You know, Tom Petty and. Brian Adams and the Eagles both times, including their Hell Freezes Over tour, which I was alive for when they went for. And so music was like a really big backdrop to my life. Like we we always had music playing or on. We had the big CD case in the car with all of the different things. I remember my dad like pulling out the CD cases to like change up the loading thing and swap them out. You know, so the five disc changer. Oh, the five disc changer. I remember when he got the five disc changer and how like life changing that like, was. It's like we're in the future. It's the future. <laughs> and, and it so, was always an ordeal because it was underneath the the front, the passenger, front passenger seat, seat. of so, our Honda yeah, Odyssey yeah, van. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so it was oh, yeah. committed. But they. I mean, they really just, they're, they're the kinds of people that just really enjoy music and they love the songs of their, like, of their youth, you know? I mean, kind of, they both graduated from high school in the 70s, so, like, they were kind of at, like, this wonderful moment for kind of, like, classic rock and roll. And 
my mom worked at a radio station, and there was just like so much like a about, commercial music radio station. It was one, you know, out in like Cocoa, you know, where she was, and so I think it was a commercial radio station, and she did stuff like in the office. But she got she would get like all of the great albums, like they would oh. get the the ones, and I still remember like they them selling their albums at a garage sale because you know CDs were the future, and now they like mourn the loss of them. But I think it was for them more of a tradition, like my my mom's dad, so my grandpa, who's still alive and lives here now, he had, you know, like an album collection that was like more than five to six hundred albums, you know, and, and all of the CDs. And he would record off of the albums onto mixtapes and then keep the mixtapes in his car. And so there was like this real kind of ritual thing with music, which looking back on was really kind of amazing to grow up as a kid but you probably didn't even realize how yeah. great it was yeah i in mean a way. well and i think it's or, hard you know cuz like when you're when you're 11 and you know all the words to like zeppelin or like a neil young song like your other friends don't really care and you're kind of weird because you don't know any <laughs> oh, of the I words. Understand. Yeah, but you're 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 loading yourself up for life though. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I mean I think that there was something in that where like as much as music was a part of it, it it also kind of kept me out of touch with like the cool, you know, like I never watched MTV. I was never like hip enough to know like what were the bands or the songs that people were listening to in my age. And so all of like my musical history were like all of these older kind of classic songs, which, you know, looking back now, I'm like, thank you, mom and dad for like developing the taste early on. But uh, it, it was a really kind of interesting dynamic. And then a lot of like my experience with music, the more that I kind of started to develop my own musical taste was really informed by movies, by television shows, you know, something where you were watching something and there was like this really poignant song at that scene in the film and loving that song and then wanting to know like who the person was who sang that song. And this is still like at the point where, you know, we didn't have a computer in our house. The internet wasn't quite what it was, but like I knew I could watch to the end of the movie and find out what that song was. Do you remember an example was. of someone who you may have found that oh, way? Oh, Lord, probably so many. I mean, like I think back to, you know, the the kinds of movies that I would watch with my, my mom because she always loved films and we'd watch so so many of like the kind of like classic ones of the 80s, you know, the ones that kind of bring together the Brat Pack and then also um, Cameron Crowe films, you know, when they still used to be good. And so I think that there are a lot of songs. I still get songs that way now. Like there's um, the Middle East Blood, which is one that was like in a movie uh, Crazy Stupid Love a couple years ago. And it's like this great scene at the end of that film with Steve Carell and you get the sense, well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but you get the sense that, like, maybe after all of this heartbreak with him and his uh, paramour that, like, maybe things are going to work out. And then, like, the the perspective of the film shifts to, like, that of their their kind of, like, adolescent son. son and he's, like, watching his parents thinking, like, maybe this is all going to be okay. And, like, the Middle East blood just, like, starts playing. And it's, like, the perfect song to fit that scene. And I don't think I would have ever, like, discovered that band now had it not been for that kind of song. And so I think early on there's so much in that, you know, like, there's uh, the Cameron Crowe films where you just get these, like, perfect songs that fit the music. But I don't know how much of that was him and how much of that was his wife. I understand. And that's really, you know, the way filmmakers use music taps into the exact same thing that what we tap into on this show. They're like trying to craft 
a, a moment that that like every time now you hear that song, you're going to think of the mm-hmm. credits of that movie. Mm-hmm. They yeah. win. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's just what happens with us in life and stuff. And that's yeah. what we get to talk about here, which is so yeah. cool. Yeah. And I think when the song, you know, when you realize that if you take the music out, that like the show wouldn't be as good or the movie's not actually as good, oh, yeah. it becomes really visible. I mean, I kind of think that's what happened with like Cameron Crowe films, you know. You want to hear a great example of that? Yeah. Do you guys remember the TV show Northern Exposure? Uh, vaguely. It may have yeah. been before y'all's time. <laughs> it was a show that was on in the 90s. It was about this doctor. Mm-hmm. He graduated from like Harvard Medical School on a scholarship from Alaska. Mm-hmm. And in order to pay back his scholarship, he had to go practice in Alaska. And they plopped him into this little tiny town of like f- 400 people. And so it's a fish out of water thing. And it's really good, really quirky. You would love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the only version you can get sucks because when they broadcast it, it had a fantastic soundtrack. Mm -hmm. I mean, because a lot of it took place in this little bar and so it was on the jukebox. Just killer soundtrack. They didn't license it for more than the airing of the show. So everything since just has mm-hmm. like doctor's office music in it. And it's just oh. so freaking bad. <laughs> yeah, it ruins the show. I, I like Wonder Years, I think, is another example of that, oh, right? I love that show. Like W.G. Snuffy Walden like makes the Wonder Years. Like that's why it's like this actual thing that you enjoy with the nostalgia. And if you take, I mean, I don't even know if they released it on DVD for a really long time mm-hmm. because like they couldn't get the rights for yeah, a lot of those yeah, songs. Like yeah. it'd be a crazy expensive. Um, okay, so you've painted this picture of like, you know, 70s and 60s rock and stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you going to church much? No, <laughs> not really as a kid. I mean, my parents were always like religious and spiritual, but like the kind of ritual of attending church regularly doesn't wasn't part of it. I mean, in terms of like, in contrast to Michael, we... Growing up as a kid, we spent like most Saturdays and Sundays going to the beach and, you know, we would go and we would wear sunscreen, but we would spend, uh, you know, we would spend like most of the day like at the beach as a family. And my dad loves, you know, to body surf. And um, it was just, you know, we spent a lot of time like outside in our backyard. My mom and dad are both really big kind of outdoor plant people, you know, and stuff with the garden. So there was just a lot as a kid that we kind of spent our weekends doing those things. And then it was maybe when I was around uh, probably about 11 or 12 that we started attending a church that was sort of like just up the road from us that, you know, was a little bit less of a for them, I think it was more like the community, and they liked, of course, the like the the pastor at the time, and and all of that kind of fit into the life. But I didn't really grow up in church in that way. Like I certainly always grew up with with the spirituality and faith and all of that being a really significant part of our life. But in terms of like the ritual of, I think especially when Michael and I think about our different childhoods, for him it was very much a ritual of like this is what you do every Sunday, and like what else would your weekend look like? And I'm like. It could look like at the beach. I mean, it could look really different. Um, and and so I think that, that that like informed in a lot of ways our different relationship with, you know, the whole idea of church and things. Because for, for me, it always felt very low stakes. It was kind of like, yeah, you know, like church is something you can go to, but it doesn't really have a bearing on like whatever my belief system might be or what it might look like. Um, whereas for you, I think you had to figure out ways to like separate it because it was sort of like this is all that it looks like in that way. And so yeah. the church music and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. And so for Jordan, I think it was like, 
you can you can love Led Zeppelin. That doesn't change anything for me. It was like a crisis moment. It's like how can I how can I love Red Hot Chili Peppers and still <laughs> keep a belief system? Right. That took a long time to figure out. Yeah. Did you, did you want to say what happened to your Red Hot Chili Peppers oh. album? This is kind of a trauma. <laughs> I think I need really? crimi- I think I need the criminology students to help me figure this out. Um, no, I mean, but we'll get we, we'll get to your song. No, I was up in uh, South Carolina visiting family, and that album was there in like my, my CD case. Confiscated. It was. Well, I will say it this way: um, it was there when I left from Florida to South Carolina Not to visit anyone. to visit family. Um, like up extended there. family. And it was, yeah, to visit uh, extended family. Um, and it was not there in the uh, case when I came home. Um, Were there and, any um, younger people who might have stolen it because they wanted to break the rules too? I, would, I, can, only, I can only hope. Or, or the, <laughs> the other thing I can hope is that my, my, you know, my, my grandparents, they saw it and took it and they're still rocking to it. Right. Right. It's right. like it changed their mind. You know what I mean? So those those are my those are my two hopes there. Um, well, you know, one of our one of our early guests, uh, Sinelli Popowitz, mm. uh, had a similar dilemma, and he had to secretly listen, you know, to anything that was secular. <laughs> yeah. And um, he his his big breakout was that he convinced his parents that living on a prayer had to be good. It's a religious song. Because <laughs> it's about. He's like he's like how could. How could this be bad? Yeah. yeah. It says prayer in the title. Yeah. The title. I would, yeah. I don't know if I could get away with that with like Californication, the, the album title splashed <laughs> there on, on the, uh, the cover there of the jacket. Yeah. So, um, Play musical instruments? Yes. Uh, I played the violin growing up. I started when I was about nine and played all the way through um, high school. I didn't play formally in college. And, you know, I still I still have my violin. And every now and then I'll kind of I think the last time I really played was probably at my grandma's funeral um, because she loved the, the song. Um, you know, in the garden. And so I I played that with Michael accompanying me on the guitar. Uh, and I think it's something that I always really appreciated because, you know, as much as my parents absolutely loved music, neither of them really had the opportunity growing up as kids. You know, my dad was from West Virginia. My mom was like an army brat kid. So there was never really like this sustained space where they could learn musical instruments. So that was something that they really uh, encouraged my brother and I to do and really supported. And so I did orchestra and my brother played the upright bass and he played that and the bassoon in high school. And and so that was something that we always felt really, I, I would say it was almost kind of like a requirement. It was like, you must play a musical instrument. Like you can decide, it didn't have to be the the piano, like Richard said, with. like you can decide what you want to play, but like um, you must learn to play a musical instrument. It, it's something that teaches you these other skills and values and, and you must kind of continue with it. And I'm really, you know, grateful now for the fact that they encourage that. They didn't make me only play Led Zeppelin songs, but you know. <laughs> Did you ever swerve into bluegrass? Little fiddle in You know, that's the one thing is like my parents, they are not country music fans at all, which really made our early courtship hard because I remember like the first time riding in the car with uh, Michael's dad who just really loves country music and has a beautiful voice. And I remember thinking like 
Dear Lord, what is this what that I, I mean? <laughs> we, we, Where is the we were recently, Pink Floyd? We were Where recent, is the, <laughs> what am I listening to? We, we were just gifted an Appalachian dulcimer recently, and I really want Jordan to learn how to play it. So. I don't know if that's in my future, but, you know, not so much the fiddle. It was it was really more like kind of classical orchestra music, so Vivaldi, mm-hmm. you know, getting into the Baroque, all of that kind of stuff that you would play in orchestra. And I and I loved it. You know, it was, it was one of those things where it was like a great group of kids that were my kind of people that, you know, it didn't matter that I didn't know who the cool kind of bands or other people were because that was all right. Um, so I fit in in a lot of ways. And I think that led to to my, um, like my mom and my dad both sing. Uh, you know, my dad can can capture like the beauty of Neil Young in that like high falsetto like nobody else. And my mom as well sang in church and, and sang a lot growing up. And so, did you want to add to that? He still does it. He still sings in the the Neil Young falsetto. It's, you had something on I loved. No, it's just such a great memory to like her dad out in the garage working on something, mm-hmm. capturing like Neil Young's old man, like the old man song. There's something in that falsetto out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that that is my dad, right? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. And so they. So when I started to get involved in choir and other things like uh well chorus like in school and middle school and up through high school and then show choir because I also like was a ballet dancer and did the dance thing it was just it was just kind of fit with like all of the aspects of the things that I was interested in I wasn't good at sports I wasn't very athletic and so like the dance and the singing that was like my kind of thing first solo singing oh gosh um I think my first so when you when you perform like in in high school, like at districts, not that you know, it was, we were in like Glee Club. My daughter's in high the, school and oh, in theater, yeah. so I know all about. There the you go. So the first song that we did, um, like the first song that I auditioned with, was "Baby, It's Cold Outside." Uh, and that was one that they made all of us sing. And then that season in the the show choir, we did "Steam Heat," which was a lot of fun. You know, I've got. Steam heat, which was like a real like kind of pushing the boundary mm-hmm. for high school. It was like, whoo, I don't know if we can get this by the judges, but and then I think when I did later on in my high school career career doing like voice lessons and like individual solos, you know, you have to have like an Italian one. And so I think it was like C2 Sospiri or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was this, it was a really beautiful song that I still love that's sort of like this old American folk song. Um called Homeward Bound. Um, and it's it's just this really lovely one that's just a piano and the voice. And that was probably like the one that I remember singing and just feeling like so moved by the music in that moment. Um, and so those are probably still some of my, mm-hmm. my favorites. Karaoke? Oh, gosh. Like what would be my karaoke song? You'll, you'll do it. Yeah, I mean, I'll if do you'll, it. If you'll solo at districts, <laughs> I, you'll do karaoke. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, again, this goes back to it being tough in a lot of ways of not knowing, like, the cool music of my generation, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, so, like, hearing songs on the radio or hearing songs that my friends were listening to and not wanting to, like, out yourself and be like, what band is that again? <laughs> and loving it. But I don't know. I mean, so it, it was always just a weird kind of eclectic taste. But I think probably for karaoke I would do something crazy like you know like the Teenage Dirtbag by Weedus or something Mm -hmm. you know something really kind of 
90s and and like that's just, a pretty high oh yeah that's a pretty high pitch range there too. you know what so i i would love to hear a little bit of that oh yeah oh wow well i have to say speaking to it being a high-pitched range exactly right i always thought when i was a kid like a teenager i thought it was a girl singing a song to another girl and thinking like this is so like radical and groundbreaking that like we've got this rock song that's about like one girl being in love with this other girl who has a boyfriend but then at the end at prom the one girl like comes out to the the singer kind of saying like I'm a dirtbag like you I know and then when I realized it was dude I was like that kind of makes the song like shittier in my opinion like it's not as great of a narrative as what I had cooked up so you know but it's a good it's a good song yeah I'd listen to it now just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Yeah, I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. No scent to Iron Maiden, baby, with me. My, my, first of all, really well done. For, yeah, that was that beautiful. Was that was a good one. Also, in the, like, it was not the big first time that the chorus came in, so I love that you adjusted. <laughs> oh, yeah. You knew where yeah. that came no, from. No, I, I mean, I think my favorite line in that is the one that's like... Um, Oh gosh! What, like a my boyfriend's a dick <laughs> when he That's brings so a gun. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's so it, it should be a girl singing it, you know, and the fact that, that it's a dude. But I think just, as English majors, well, he says her boyfriend's a dick. Yeah, yeah her, that's uh, true. Yeah. But that's I think true. as English majors, we're like it's a guy singing, but it could be a the speaker could be a girl. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like just yeah. as in poems, you can have a male poet, and the speaker of the poem. Yes. could be a woman, it's right? It's a heterodiagetic narrator, yeah, think, right? Like, it's a difference between, yeah. like, the, the author's sex and the narrator's just, sex. So what's, a guy, the word, what's the word you just used? Just keep going, yeah. A guy, like, more a, of this. Yeah. A, guy, a, guy, a guy singing it doesn't mean that the guy has to be the persona saying it. It's like a Willa Cather novel, right? So Willa Cather is a woman, but she frequently adopts male narrators to tell stories about female characters, right? So, like, my Antonia or mm-hmm. a lost lady. Like, we get these kinds of what, so, what was the word you just used to describe that? Oh, well, there's... Heterodiagetic. A, heterodiagetic? Yeah. Okay, I need to yeah. remember that because I, uh, I know the future, and I'm going to tell you a thing later. Oh, uh, nice. So, heterodiagetic. <laughs> but we And we do, by the way, we do have Teenage Dirtbag on this. And that was the first time I'd ever even heard it. So oh. everything that just happened was all like, look at this going on in front of me. <laughs> you got to listen to the whole song because it, really it really is a lovely story of what I imagine is, you know, Two two girls in high school, like kind of finding themselves and falling in love and feeling like outsiders. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. it's time for your song. All right. So this song is one that comes very much at the end of high school for me, and it coincides with a friend that, or like a, a trip that I was going to take with my best friend. Um, when we had we had met each other in middle school when we were eleven, and we were sort of inseparable. And even though we ended up going to different high schools, we still like kept in touch and talked all the time. And so we had planned like this kind of epic road trip to New York. And we were going to go to New York City, and we were like, let's drive there, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be so much fun. And it was probably maybe 
like three weeks before we were going. And the whole time, I think both like my mom and her dad and her mom were kind of like, you know, they were all asking questions like, so we're going to need some more information from you. Like, we're not just going to let you like get in the VW Jetta and head out. Like, we need some details. And we just didn't have, we didn't have our plan, right? You know, like if we had approached it with like, well, here are where, here's where we're stopping. Here's how many hours we'll drive for today. It probably would have worked out. But very quickly, they were kind of on us and they were like, you don't have a plan. We're not going to let you drive all the way. An 18 and a she was only 17 at that time because she had a July birthday. So you're like, we're not going to let an 18 and 17-year-old drive to New York City by themselves. Uh, but what we will do is we will let you uh, fly on a plane and you can go visit uh, her, my, my best friend, her her kind of grandma and her um, her whole family lived in like this town not far outside of Albany and uh, they're Italian. And so like everybody lives kind of like on the same street. And they're like, you can go stay uh, kind of at grandma's house and like, you know, have fun and do whatever you want to. And we were like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> so, so we get there and we are very much like we were imagining New York City and we are like, you You're know, like out in the woods. Yeah, we are like 40 <laughs> minutes outside of Albany. Like we're in the middle, like there's nothing there except for like the uh, Buono Trucking Company and the trucking like that her family owned that was across the street from her grandma's house, her grandma's house, and then her uncle's house that had a pool but hadn't been like brought up to be used yet for the summer. So like the whole week we're like two teenage girls trying to like get the pool in condition to be able to actually swim in it. We were cutting hay because that's also what you do in the summer in New York. Um, And we were watching Kill Bill volume one and volume two on repeat again and again because there was just, you know, nothing else to do. And I mean, it was one of those kinds of like trips where we would go out and we would drive around to like the dairy farms and we would just like get out on the highway and just like drive, you know, just to have something to kind of do. Something to make the day pass by. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, like and looking back, like I think about how like her, her grandma was a lot older at that point, but she was really she was really kind of fun and quirky. And she had like these amazing classic Mercedes that were like all like uh, under car covers in the garage and we were like let us drive it let us drive the uh, the Mercedes and let us uh, you know and she was like no we're not going to let you do that but she did let us you know <laughs> she would she would sit out every afternoon um, she was a big believer in like the need of vitamin D so like every afternoon her grandma would just sit out in like her bra in the back like by the clothesline and so she'd make us sit outside with her to get our vitamin D for that day <laughs> and so looking back it was just like a really kind of uh, a, a, a a kind of adventure of, you know, thinking about like what I work on now for my profession. I look I look at a lot about idle women in literature, but it was like a period of like profound idleness, you know, like we didn't have anything to do each day. We didn't have anywhere we needed to be. We could kind of spend our days how we wanted them in this like rural, not really near anything experience. And so we spent it watching, you know, Kill Bill movies and what year playing would this cards. Have been? This would have been the summer of 2005. Okay. And so um, so it was just – it was one of those really kind of formative, fun summers where you feel grown up, but you were also just spending your time a lot the way you would as a kid because you didn't have really any responsibilities. You didn't have – didn't, you weren't thinking in terms of like what are we going to eat for dinner? And, you know, like you just kind of did and other people took care of you, you know. So like you, you always had stuff to eat or snacks or those kinds of things, but you, you got the kind of benefit of – 
feeling adult enough to be free to kind of like make your own choices. So like if you wanted to drive to Niagara Falls, we did get to drive to Niagara Falls. So we, we made it a little bit further on the road trip. You could do that. But like you still were sort of limited in your your freedom a bit. So I would say that your positive response to being dropped in the woods instead of New York City says a lot about your character. I know. <laughs> yeah. I would say, you know, and I mean, again, the thing of like what we actually thought we were going to do in New York City once we got there, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think we would have taken very well to like the New York City hostile life. Like, none of that probably stuff would have worked out for us. But I think that it ended up in a lot of ways being this kind of ideal summer that looking back now, you're like, wow, like it gave me that time to just kind of like post-graduation to kind of take a, a moment, like a breath before college and the rest of your life and all of those other kinds of things in this really like low stakes environment where like the worst thing that could happen was like we fell off the tractor. Yeah. And by the way, when Jordan says hostile life, she means like a ho- like a hostile. Like Jordan has never... I-L-E. Like no, E-L. Oh, Jordan yeah. has never Jordan has never stayed in a hostel. That is the worst thing she... she yeah. That is, the, oh, yeah. that is the worst thing she can think of is to stay in a hostel. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, no, I I mean, I would I'm say jo- that, I'm joking, like, but, I, but I'm not. That's actually bit. probably true. I mean, I don't think I would have a problem with like uh, the. I think it would be the shared bathroom thing and then having to sleep in like the sad sewn sheet on top of everything else. You could bring a sheet. I know. Yeah. But then I'm like, then I'm like bringing my own sheets, you know, and like, what, what is that, right? Yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a quality of life question. Oh, sorry. I, yeah. yeah. I just realized. Why you picked this song? Yeah, because it's in Kill Bill. Yeah. Ah, all I this know. time I'm like, where are we? How are we getting? <laughs> no, there? it's it's the full it's the full circle thing, right? Like it's it's the songs informed by the movies that I watched. <laughs> is it the first one? Where is it in Kill Bill? Um, the opening of the first movie. It opening? is the opening yeah, of the opening. first movie. That with the bride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paint a picture of what the room would have looked like where you were watching Kill Bill, and then we'll start playing the song. Yeah. So her uncle had this really cool like old New York kind of sort of like a mountain style house even though we weren't in the mountains because you had like this wall that was sort of like all glass that comes up with sort of like that A-frame and you had the kitchen right there and then on the other side of the glass they had like this big U-shaped sectional with a what was at that point you know like a big screen TV. Just like, like 23 inches Yeah, or like just huge. And I remember when we got there, this is the other part of like the, the being an adult, uh, getting to go to the local Blockbuster where I could sign up for a Blockbuster video card, oh, but she you couldn't had like get. ID. Yeah, because I was 18 <laughs> and she was only 17. And we were like, well, what are we going to rent? And we're like, well, obviously Kill Bill. And then I think also Team America. World Police. Car- World Police, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was just those three on repeat. Like it was kind of all we needed in our life. Like we could have rented other movies, but it was just the number of times we could watch Kill Bill on repeat, like it never got old. Like there was nothing that wasn't amazing to these two, like, you know, recently graduated girls, then Uma Thurman just kicking ass all across, <laughs> you know, both films. And so, yeah. All right. Well, let's picture that. Let's listen to it. It's Bang Bang by Nancy Sinatra, originally from her 1966 album, How Does That Grab You? But obviously from Kill Bill. Kill Bill is my favorite movie. <gasps> uh, and when I say that, I just mean both of them together because it's really just... I didn't know it that. It really is just I one I movie. Richard. Of, all, exactly of right. all time, I think it might be my favorite. And um, <laughs> when that when that first one came out, uh, as I want to do, sometimes I get like obsessed with a specific song and I have mm-hmm. to learn to play it and I listen to it over and over. <gasps> 
And so when, when I heard that and I grabbed the soundtrack, I sat down in front of my piano for a very long time figuring out how to play that. Oh. And it was my first experience as a performer trying to wrap my head around a heterodiegetical <laughs> voice. Yes. Because I, was, yeah. I struggled with whether or not I should just, I mean, if I was going to play it for right. people, should I change this to she? Right. Yeah. Am I going to embody like the, the Sinatra, like her range? And she's got a lower range. Like that's what's so that beautiful too. about that song is like she's, you know, she's deeper in that kind mm-hmm. of, you know, the bang, bang mm-hmm. kind of going through it. I love that it was your first song. And it is such a good song. And it's one of those songs where I don't know. Again, you think about Tarantino movies, like are Tarantino movies as good when you take out the amazing soundtrack from them? Like Ooh, how much do I, the music? I mean, I think they stop, are. Don't even ask that question. Well, I'm just saying, Reservoir like, dogs might hold say up, stuck in the middle with you, you know? But a yeah, lot yeah. Of them, yeah. Or a like lot of Jackie them. Brown. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, you really need the music. Maybe not the extent that you need it for like a Cameron Crowe film, but like certainly. I, not that one. I mean, yeah. Kill Bill would fall apart, I think, without a lot of the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, what's the um, Malaguenas Saladosa? Isn't that? Yeah, yeah, um, and then. Um, and the one that plays in the big 88 fight at the end of the first movie, mm-hmm. like all of those are... The, the woo-hoos or the yeah, woo yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah, that one gets yeah, in your head. I know. And plus, you know, he, the second one leans a lot on Kurosawa's stuff. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it yeah. takes advantage of music for it as well. And I think that without it, it just kind of, yeah, it would be empty. So Yeah. You have a Martin acoustic guitar. Yeah. Do you know the story about the one that got destroyed during the filming of Hateful Eight? Mm, Tarantino no. film? No. no. When Kurt Russell picks up that guitar and smashes it, if, have you guys seen Hateful Eight? No. no. There's this scene there. It's like all these people are like trapped in the cabin out in the woods in the yeah. snow. Mm-hmm. And he picks up this guitar and he smashes it. And it was an actual 1870s Martin that they brought <gasps> on set. And he thought it was a prop. Oh. Just thought I'd throw that out there. It wasn't scripted. He was just no, no, it's, feeling so, the moment or no, what? No, it's scripted. That Tarantino wanted an authentic guitar. So they got an. So they got him like it's a little too. Yeah. They really did. Yeah. In other words, yes. Sure. But then, but they were supposed to change out. No, no, uh, she wasn't supposed to smash oh, it on the guitar. <laughs> but just visually, it was supposed to be an actual one, oh, and then they would and, change it out for the smash. Yeah. And no one told. Um, yeah. Kurt Russell, um, Kurt Russell that it I, that it, it needed to switch. I bet that haunted him. He seems like such a sweetheart. That <laughs> he probably does, yeah. kept him up at night. At the was, end. Uh, oh man. Did you ever make it to New York City? I did. I did. I mean, we eventually, you know, like got to go into the city for a day or something like that. Not like our initial plan. And and now we have friends that live there. And, you know, it's I think New York City is one of those places that, like everyone says, there's so much about being in a city that's so exciting. But I spending time in it, I realize I'm not I'm not as much a, a kind of city person or at least that level of city. Like I want I want a nice mid-sized city. Like I want a Cincinnati, you know, like I want something. <laughs> that, that sentence has never been said in the studio. I, I, you know, I do. I want I want something that is that is, you know, public transportation's there. I can walk where I want to go. But there's not so many people that, you know, where I live is going to be the setting of some kind of like like apocalyptic dystopian film, you know, like, you know, no one attacks Cincinnati, I was going to suggest Portland, right? but then you added the dystopian part. Yeah. I could see that coming out of Portland. Mm. I, I don't know being a Florida kid if I could survive in the Pacific Northwest. I think I, I've got to live someplace oh. with mm. the sun. And even saying that, I probably would need, I need a southern city. I mm. need, like New Orleans. You know, I need a place Atlanta with sun. without the traffic. Yeah. 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 Maybe Atlanta. 
They need to get yeah. hover cars for Atlanta or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something's got to give with Atlanta. Yeah. They've been working on the train system for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. When we were over in Baton Rouge, they were they were thinking about it, and they had been thinking about it for years, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of train system to really help with the congestion. Right after we were married, we moved to uh, York, England for a year for Michael to do his master's. So you had asked earlier about our PhD, and we got our PhDs at the same time, but our master's degrees, we took turns getting them, just, you know. And so we were in England, and he was, you know, at the University of York, and I was working at an arts and culture magazine in the city, and it was really like the perfect size city, because we we lived outside of the city in a little village called Heslington, and we would walk in every morning and, you know, you're walking in through like pony fields and just kind of like the English countryside. But then you're in the city and you can get on the train and you can go to London or you can get anywhere you wanted. And so I think that I have like an affectionate heart for cities of that size, mm-hmm. like this kind of mid size that gives you access to all these other places. How old is your oldest kid going to be when they boy, girl? Boy. Boy. Oh. Uh, when you first share Kill Bill with him. Oh, gosh. This is a tough question because we've had a lot of questions about, like, at what age can you watch this movie? Because I'm going well, to tell hold it. On, hold on. Yeah. Go, so oh when we, go ahead. <laughs> I stepped on the My, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so when we, were in, when we were in high school and college, like I said, we watched a lot of – we just watched a lot of films. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that age, I think that there we have less tolerance now for kind of the uh, like the not the miserable, but like, you know, the deeply upsetting films that you watch when you're like a teenager in your 20s where you're like, let's watch, you know, like Requiem for a Dream and Eraserhead and, you know, Pulp Fiction, like all in one night. And like now it's like, God, why would you want to do that? Put yourself through that. And so we, there was a time where I think we did watch Pulp Fiction and Requiem for a Dream all in the same night. Mm. But the the worst part about it was at that point, Michael's youngest sister who was eight watched a good portion of Pulp Fiction with us and it was one of those moments where we were kind of like wait a minute this is probably not at all appropriate for an (laughs) eight-year-old I I had no idea what was appropriate for an eight-year-old to watch I thought you know she's she's always probably old old enough to watch this (laughs) this will help it's going to inform her you know inform her worldview a little bit did you guys see Inside Out Yes. Oh, yeah. She's got Requiem for oh, Dream my. Island. Right. <laughs> I mean, exactly. You know? I, will say, I will say my youngest sister is more mature than I was at that age. And I think I think Tarantino has helped. But maybe I will not that. in the best way possible. <laughs> so we've, we've had a lot of conversations with our own kids because there are mm-hmm. certainly movies that I remember watching with my parents, like uh, Swiss Family Robinson, the old mm-hmm. Disney film, After Beach Days on Saturday. You know, things like that where I'm like, I can't wait till they're old enough to be able to watch this. Like, I can't wait to show them these movies. But I don't know, you know, Better Off Dead. Well, you know, I feel like that one is like a, a John Cusack one that they could watch now, yeah. right? Like, yeah, we're at this point with the six-year-old, things. like, when do we show? him labyrinth with david bowie yeah. it's an amazing yeah. movie the music is great when does that or one like the never-ending enter- story I, right? you just read my mind because i like have talk about an island and inside out i have a um my daughter having in conversation about death when she was like five when the yeah. when the i can't even say it when the horse goes in the thing oh my gosh and like oh, yeah. oh my god you know yes. what i mean and yeah. she's like yeah. five years old and we, but we had a very frank conversation mm-hmm. and it was like um it was like one of those moments you know what yeah. i mean yeah. Ooh. how did it go oh, it went well yeah. yeah i mean i think yeah yeah no when they're five and six and they start talking about mortality our son had this really yeah. at that oh, oh, yeah. he had this he was that, four he was four 
and he had you no know, he was he was maybe fine but he had he had this moment where he's like it was a frank conversation. I don't know what precipitated it, but it was like this existential moment. The way he phrased it was like, I don't want to go to death. It was like, it was like that phrasing yeah. stuck with us Which and it really just haunts like, us, you know? Because up as English people, <laughs> yeah. we're like, go to death. Like he was thinking yeah. about death as something like you go to school, right? Or you go. It's and a so place. It, it's like yeah. going, like, you know, what is it being toward death? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like this whole idea. Um, I just would like kind of scanned my memory banks, and so mm-hmm. I remember how it went. So this is get this. So you know, she said, you know, she's crying because he's crying because not only the horse died, but because his mom died. Yeah. She, like, wow. she made that connection, and it was like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, because so he was, you know, because it pops out to so, like yeah. he's there with his dad and, yeah. and, and single father, book. and yep. Oh, yeah. We watched, so smart. We watched Never Ending Story for the first time about six months ago, and I looked over at my daughter, who is who was eight then, in mm-hmm. the R-Tax scene, expecting to see something like this, and she's just shoveling popcorn into her. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, this, there's a spectrum there yeah. in terms of reaction? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so oh. good. I w- yeah. But there are these, like, I think seminal, like, movies of your childhood that, that just become mm-hmm. the ones that you revisit, you know, year after year. And we have some of those as, like, tradition that we watch, you know, like, a certain holiday movies, like Meet Me in St. Louis. We watch that every year at Christmas. And even our son, you know, will watch that one with us, and it'll hold his attention for the most part. Yeah. But. And only because I'm thinking about it, because you brought up W.G. Snuffy Walton, and I think this can show how nerdy mm-hmm. we are. We really got into, like— his just the movies and and uh, TV shows that he's been part of to do the music for like Any West Wing show, or yeah, you brought up Wonder Years the Wonder Years Friday Night Friday Lights, Night Lights and, um, Felicity yeah. like it was just like so yeah we were watching a few and I think it was after Friday Night Lights we're like you know we should and we haven't yet but we should like really write this guy we need to write this guy uh, just a fan letter does it do do because yeah. do like the do like the music people get fan letters I don't know but we should write him a fan letter we haven't yet but he's but been yeah. but what I think Snuffy nowadays Walden they has use been this on our, thing called Twitter no no it needs to be a fan <laughs> letter no. there's no way we're Henry not doing Walden's on we're Twitter. not doing that it's hand it's got to yeah. be Henry or typed we have typewriters so yeah. we'll, we, we may do that um, <laughs> but any of like those great television shows or some things where you're watching them and you're like oh my god like the the music in this scene it's probably by W G Snuffy Walden Thomas Newman is another one for films like anytime mm-hmm. there's a there's like a piano like instrumental where you're like this movie wouldn't be the same without this background music it's by hands down probably mm-hmm. Thomas Newman I mean he did American Beauty he did uh, he did Little Women the 1994 version he did um, Revolutionary Road he did uh, Shawshank Redemption like all of these like pivotal amazing orchestral m- movie moments Thomas Newman and you look mm-hmm. and you're like wow it's like this one guy like just kind of creating the the soundtrack for all of Hollywood, you know. But do you have a favorite mu- movie musical? Oh, it's hard to pick a favorite movie musical just because it, being in show choir, you have to perform so many of them. So like the affection you have for them is sort of destroyed when like your your teacher kind of beats it out of you by just reminding you how terrible it was. So I would say probably growing up it was you know, it was probably something classic like Greece, but then being in high school and performing Greece and having Who were um, you? oh well, I we I was like one of the backgrounds. Uh, yeah, the we ensemble. had ensemble. Ensemble, <laughs> you know, one of the background ones. 
But um, having to get the uh, <laughs> the part in, I don't remember what song, it's the, the hand drive song, right? And it's like, you know, you know, shoo-bop, shoo-bop, yippee-dee-doop-dee-doop. And I remember doing it and my teacher being like, you can't just say, and we were in high school at the point, so the fact that she used this word was like very strong for Miss Jackson. But she was like, you can't just say whatever shit you want. Like these are actual things, like the doop and the doo-wop-dee-doo are different than other things. So you need to learn them. Learn them. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like just trying to yeah. do it because the song goes so fast and you're dancing while you're singing it. And so you're like, you know, and you're like, you can't fake it. And so there's it was a like, ramble in there. Somewhere, yeah, right? it was like these high stakes moments where it was just it was kind of miserable looking back on it. And it sort of ruins the the love of the the musical for you because you're like, oh, God, how miserable for them, how they they were making it and going through all of that. But. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie musical? I don't think I don't think so. I mean, we watch Meet Me in St. Louis a lot um, with with the kids. And if I'm going to if I'm going to pick one, that's probably the one that I. What about stage musicals? Stage. Musicals. Got any love for stage musicals? Mm. I'm. None Not come so to much, mind. Yeah. yeah, you probably, I, you, you probably, he probably was introduced more to like the musical theater world through me. I don't think that was much of like your. But go ahead. No, yeah. no, I don't. I'm not thinking of a stage musical. Can I say a movie musical that doesn't get much love at all? That I think is awesome. I, could it be Richard? Could it? Could it be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not. Because it's. I want, I'm, well, I'm excited now. It might be terrible for yeah. others, but yeah. I love it. Um, and that's because I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. Oh. Has anybody seen Rock of Ages in here? I Has anybody? Oh my gosh! Yeah, actually, uh-huh. I walked out of the movie theater because yeah. you hated it. Yeah, because I did not, I did not enjoy the experience I was currently having. So I think that's one of the Listen, it is one of the few movies I've actually I was got maybe halfway through and I was like, now nah, we're. You got to listen. I, <laughs> Every, everyone has their own interpretation. You need to go back into that theater, all right? Fini- <laughs> finish it. It all I'll, comes I'll do together that today. in the end. Yeah. <laughs> After work, I'm going to Bell Tower. Oh I'm going to go put on Rock of Ages. i got to finish <laughs> this thing. It. It's probably on Amazon. Yeah, it probably right. is. The um, New York Times cover ugh. says, impossible to resist. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, um, you guys, there. this might be an answer that you say yes to. Do you guys listen to radio stations? That yes. play music. Yes. That like broadcast, you know, like like WGCU, yeah. but the music ones. Yeah. You guys listen to those? Absolutely. Yes. Woo! You guys are the first in like <laughs> oh really? Like thirty guests. Oh my god! No, we we, my, we <laughs> have. Is it a, true? We, I'm, I'm not joking. People don't oh. do that. No. We oh. have a radio like in our house. That I mean, I do. Yeah. You know, we we've got that yeah. in common, but most people don't. <laughs> there is just nothing more exciting about having the radio on and not knowing what song they're going to play. The next. internet does that too. I know, but it's not quite the same. I agree. Oh, yeah. I don't understand why. But and there I are agree. more advertisements with. I think the, we get tired of the ads. Is part yeah. Of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't like the ads. And and I still remember like being a kid and again not knowing songs that I loved that my friends loved and hearing snippets of them on the radio and like trying to like catch them so I could record them with the tape and like get little pieces of it or hoping that the DJ might say like who the band was so that I could <laughs> then know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. old, you know, an old question that we used to ask a lot is mixtapes. Uh, um, I asked it yesterday to Armando. Oh, I did, well, I wasn't here for Armando. Coincidentally, so. we've um, brought it back. Do you? Did you, did either of you ever make a mixtape for each other? 
mixed CDs. CDs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mixed yeah. CDs. I don't think you food? ever made. Well, I don't think we. Are, I you? don't think you ever made me a mixed CD. Mm. Now that you're bringing it up, but um, I think that now I you can make her a playlist, but him. then you'd have to get like technology. Oh. Yeah, I think I burned for him. Um, <laughs> The U2 album, All That You Can't Leave Behind. Did I burned, you mix anything? I don't I mean, think what? I mixed it. Well, I what I was always do is I would burn albums for my friends, you know, and then I would add, like, you would always have, like, maybe eight extra songs that you could still add in. So it would just be the kind of eclectic mix. So we have a lot of still mixed CDs. Like, we've got Good Goo Goo, uh, yeah. got, which is, like, a compilation that has very few Goo Goo Dolls songs on it, but only the good ones, like, not the ones where they let J- the bass player Jordan's sing. is mixed in, like, the loosest definition of that term. It's, like, <laughs> you two, and then, like... <laughs> Maximize the amount of space yeah. on the disc. And then, like, l- the Little Women soundtrack at the end of that. It's, like, It'd let's put, like, a, put it all together. Put yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend in I had a, uh, a friend in high school and college, part part of the band, who was very good at mixtapes, and he would he would do them like you know yearly, like two thousand and two, two thousand and three, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And be, there might be songs from like that year, and only songs from that year. And, yeah. um, Chris was really good. Yeah, so he's kind of to my mind, he's kind of a mixtape uh, master, and you know, I never held a candle to that neither of us did. Yeah. I think I have some mixed CDs from Chris because we were all mm-hmm. friends probably more than from you. But I think that yeah. always came back to the technology. Like you weren't going to sit down and Absolutely not. use a computer. Like, no. What? No, mm-hmm. not at all. But mm-hmm. he played a lot of songs for me. And mm-hmm. he would he would learn songs that I loved and Michael would learn how to play them on the guitar, which mm-hmm. was like super romantic mm-hmm. for teenage yeah. self. Mm-hmm. Do I so, remember them? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I did learn them at <laughs> a time. Yeah. So which time. radio stations would you listen to? Well, where we grew up, it was 105.9. No, I mean here. In oh, Portland. here? Yeah. Well, now it's, what is it, 99 point? Oh, I don't. I've had to look at our, Some... we've got all, I mean, obviously 90.1 is, is number four on our on our little push We're button. We're number four. Number four. We're number four. On what we've saved, oh, but number it, one no, in our because hearts. that's because that's my favorite yeah. number. Oh, yeah. Yeah, four is my favorite oh. number. So we always, I always make four on the aisle, like, <laughs> yeah, what, was, my favorite. Surprise. Yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, we listen to like, what is it, 93.3 out of Dunbar is like one that listens yes. to Hager. I mean, it's awesome. Yay! Yay! I finally met someone on the show who knows it's Hager. It's awesome, right? They play songs that I don't. Man Roberts classic radio show. So awesome. Doing the Queen Cup. The goofy. You don't hear songs anywhere else <laughs> yes. that are played there. Yeah, I know. No, they it plays things you'll never, never hear, hear anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want an algorithm picking my music. I want a mm-hmm. person picking my music, and yeah. that's why radio stations. So you guys are must romantic. live on that side of town because that does yeah. not go very far. It does not. No. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I know we lose it when we get like south of Colonial. It's a low power station. It's mm-hmm. like out of Dunbar High School. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. But they're doing we great. Probably, yeah, we just pull off the highway when it starts to go a little bit fuzzy. Just turn around. Yeah, I've asked. I whenever. I bring up radio. I yeah. like you know the tagger because you know he says it like tagger. I know no, tagger. Tagger. no. no and tagger. everybody's like nothing. So no. the fact that you brought it up first, yeah, yes, oh yeah, okay. First concert that you can remember, not church related, like concert. The first concert I can remember <laughs> going to. I'm glad you said not I know that church related. Man, okay, so not the hundred of church related concerts that I went to. Okay, um, this would have been. This was Is ours. It with me? Yeah. This was in like middle of the state, around Apopka, maybe. Oh yeah, we were like Bob, interior Florida. Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson wow. concert. Yep, mm-hmm. and Bob Dylan played. I mean, he was with like a mariachi band, and he didn't play any of his 
stuff. It was um, he, yeah. He went through a phase where he kind of was Spanish. like, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it was, it, and we and we were kind of. I think at the time, <laughs> and I think a lot of fans are normally like this. Are like, you know, we came to hear the hits. Well, exactly. Which, and it was awesome. I mean, I think listening back, it's or thinking back, it's it's kind of awesome that Bob does this kind of thing. Whether it's that or playing a live version of a song that's very different, you know. I think like shelter from like, oh, uh, yeah. give me shelter is very We've got no like not give me shelter two, but shelter from the storm very different two different from, versions of shelter for the storm back to back on one of our mixes yeah very like, different from one the that's live more classic with the acoustic and one that's like really rocking where he changes like the whole rhythm of the mm-hmm. verse oh I know nice. about that yeah stuff. the Budokan yeah. one is like you know he'll do these kinds of things and you kind of like got to just trust in in a way, like, okay, I'm trusting in Bob that he knows what he's doing because right now I'm a little bit upset. Right, you my have feelings to just are hurt. Open your heart to the artist. <laughs> <laughs> and, but and, you know, and and Willie and Willie was great. There was a guy standing near us, um, you know, shirtless, shirtless, and yeah, you know, had to have been like a NASCAR cap, and he's just telling telling Willie fervently. Believing, telling not Willie, screaming, not screaming. screaming. Oh, screaming was he screaming? screaming yeah. Telling Willie that that he and Willie are cousins. You're and, my cousin. Yeah, just I, th- I think for a long time he was doing yeah. this. It was wonderful. It was such a wonderful concert. Yeah. There's a outside chance he really was his cousin. Oh, I don't oh, disbelieve. Yeah. yeah. What year would that have been? How long ago was this? For like, I'm trying to gauge the Willie arc. Was it 2000? Early two, maybe 2003. Oh, so Willie, Willie, when he was still on his game. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my daughter saw Willie when he came to town right before the pandemic. It was like Mm -hmm. February of last year. Last year? Yeah, it's just been a year. And he was kind of, he's a little, yeah. It was still still worth it, but yeah. 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 Um, You get tired after a while. Were yeah. you at that concert too? We you were kind of, you kind of. We see, were, your first concert was together. We the first concert I, mean, I can we, remember. Did you have really? a we first concert before that concert? No, that was probably my first. Were you like, guys concert. like boyfriend and girlfriend, or are you just like I friend was, friends? No, I think that might have been one of the first things that like we did mm-hmm. because I mean, again, we were pretty young when we got together, and I mean, you're not really dating when you're like teenagers. You know, you're kind yeah, of hanging out. Going out with you're each going other. You're going out, yeah. And so I think that was one of the things that also we were. We, you know, we were really kind of keen to be different from like all of the other people our age who were, you know, going out or doing these like really fancy dinners and dates. And we're like, we don't want to do that. We want to go sit in a field in a popka and listen to Bob Dylan and <laughs> Willie Nelson. And so, I mean, I remember doing things like that and and that concert. But I think probably the a concert that's really memorable just in terms of like being young and that full kind of all-day concert experience was seeing Dave Matthews Band and... Uh, Dave. Dave, We yeah. just call him Dave on the show. Okay, just Dave uh, with Michael and then my best friend, the one uh, from the New York road trip that never was, and our other friend uh, who played the bass. And we... This would have been... I think we had. I think this was like right after we got married or maybe it was right before we got married. Maybe it was we were still in college at this point. And... Um, it was in we we got there early and we were sitting out and you know we were like out in the field like in the cheap seats and they had like a little section that was for anybody that wasn't going to drink alcohol and like her and I weren't old enough to drink alcohol so we're like we'll sit here it's so nice it's got a little like fence around it and we'll spread our blanket out and so we're all hanging out and it's like 30 minutes in and it's just like a classic Florida afternoon thunderstorm and it pours and 
And so then we're absolutely soaked. And, and we're, you know, we're wearing like jeans, like things that like you don't want to be wet in. So it finishes raining and we're like, okay, well, you know, that was fun. <laughs> Maybe now the concert will start. And we're hanging out and all of a sudden we see like, again, another kind of shirtless man uh, stepping over and tripping over the little like family partition uh you know, fence. And we realize that it's our eighth grade social studies teacher. And so we we scream his name out. And of course, the last thing he's expecting is to see like these two middle school girl or, you know, kids that he knew in middle school there at a concert. And then as soon as the concert started, it was awesome. But everybody stood up and everybody like pushed in on the little section because we had like loads of space around us because, you know, everyone else was drinking as you would at a conference. Heard. Um, and everyone like pushed in over the little fence and which wasn't bad, except for that one of the, the girls that pushed in. She had been really kind of partying for quite a bit. And so I remember Michael kind of helping like hold her arm up because she kept like spilling her drink on us as she was dancing. And then the peak was in the middle of Crash Into Me, where she squatted down and peed. Right in front of us because, you know, that's what she calls crashing. Yeah, that's crashing. (laughs) Right. And I remember at that moment being like, I am so glad that I am uphill. Like, Mm -hmm. I am so glad I am standing behind Mm -hmm. and uphill. But it was apt observation. Yeah. She's always looking on the brighter side. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great it was a great concert. You know, I mean, it was one of those kinds of things where the the experience went beyond just like the music and the songs. Mm -hmm. It was it was like a memorable night with your friends and doing all of that. Yeah. Have you guys seen any music? Probably not. You have kids. Sorry. Um, since the since things started opening back up, because they are starting to now. Ticks, people are starting to. You see, do you have any anything like tickets going on sale that you're aiming at, or is that even of an interest to you at this point in time? It's so hard. I feel like the the concerts we've gone to, like we we saw actually a couple of bands when we were in England because I I worked for that arts and culture magazine. So sometimes we would get. I mean, it was it was hard because like the really good tickets you would want went to like the owners, <laughs> and so we got to see like Dent May and his magical ukulele. Oh, uh, magnificent. Oh. Magnificent I don't know ukulele. that, but I love all the words involved with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, he's from uh, Mississippi, and it really is like he's an amazing ukulele picture player, and he mm-hmm. sings these kind of like weird, sort of like beachy, rocky songs that are often about college. Often about college. Yeah. yeah. And then when we were in Kansas City, Kansas City was like a good place to live. This was when I was doing my master's degree. How long did you guys live there? Uh, two years. We were outside of Kansas City on like, the Missouri side. Uh, no, we were on the Kansas uh, side. Yeah, so we were in Lawrence, oh, Kansas. Lawrence, yeah, yeah, we were at KU. KU. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we drove in to see uh, Paul McCartney in Kansas mm-hmm. City and had pancakes, and that was a really good concert. I think I, I was and had pancakes and had, yeah, pancakes. And had pancakes prior to yeah. prior to the concert. Yeah, and then being in Louisiana, you're really close to New Orleans, so like you could get down to see. Like you don't even really need to be going to a particular place mm-hmm. to hear music. You can just be there and there were a lot of good places in Baton Rouge too so we we've Mm. kind of gotten less out of the specific concert going Mm. phase a bit you know but we still love it but it's it's hard with kids I I will say our our it gets easier when they get older yeah Yeah. and they can come with you yeah yes we're trying to teach our our kids good music our our six-year-old's favorite song right now is Belinda Carlisle's Heaven is a Place on Earth okay yeah and he's a yeah He's into it. And our two-year-old's favorite song is um, probably Kanan's. Um, mm-hmm. In the it? beginning. In the beginning, yeah. 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 
It's like a, it's a really like one that goes really, really quick and it goes bum, bum, bum. And he like bends down and does like the dun, dun, dun every time, which yeah, is funny. Yeah, Kanan's a great rapper and he was on a, a Bob Dylan um, compilation, you know, people mm. singing their own uh, really amazing uh, versions of, of Bob Dylan songs. So he was on our radar after that. Yeah, and his was better is, than the original Bob Dylan song, which, I think. Yeah, which yeah. doesn't happen normally. And so, mm. yeah, this song is uh, very good. Have you had this happen yet with your six-year-old? Because it'll happen eventually where mm-hmm. they know the words to a song that you did not expose them to. You're like, how do you how, – how do you know the words to that song? Because, you know, obviously yeah. they like go to school yeah. and they have kids around and, you know, some kids even have phones when they're six. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. has that happened yet? It's, I can't think of a I think song maybe more yet, with like starting. the kids, you know, like the kids kinds of songs, like the songs that they sing in school, like the kids bops. I think it's something that they'll do for brain breaks. Okay. Well, there'll be a so point at which know. you'll just be like, you're singing a Britney Spears song and I have no idea why. I mean, I don't <laughs> think that was probably the right person to choose because I'm not hip. No, but. yeah. But like with your, with your daughter, is it one of those moments where like she's singing a song that you've never heard of or she's singing a song that you know too, but you're like, I didn't expose that to Well, you. Th- that can happen too. But there was just a point in time where like I'm like – Neither my mom, I mean, her, your mom or nor myself have exposed you to this, but you know every word. Like we'd be in Publix and she'd be mm. singing along to some song yeah. that I've never even heard before. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, what do you mean? How like, do you not And know it's it? like, how do you know this? <laughs> yeah. See, my parents made sure that never happened for me as a kid. I was, I mean, I knew the words to the songs, but they were their songs. But you know, <laughs> again, were really, really good songs. But yeah. All right. You guys ready to sidle up to your third song? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is – so this song, I mean, I guess the the kind of experience of it is a concert experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the one of the bands that, like, I really, really started to love in college was called Pela. Um, and they had, they had, like, an EP and one album. And then they had, like, a, the, another version of the band came back as a band called We Are Augustines. And they did, like, one more album. And, you know, it's like one of those bands that was, like, always good, but they never kind of, like, got their footing or got off not got off the ground in terms of, like, a real, like, you know, hitting fame or anything like that. And so I saw that they were going to be at the House of Blues in New Orleans. And given that we were both in the PhD program at this point, any trip to New Orleans was sort of a pretty big deal for us because, you know, it meant like getting our 98 Honda Civic out on 75 and heading down there. And, you know, it meant paying for parking. It was like a big kind of budget expense. So I kind of had to talk him into it because he liked Pela, but it wasn't necessarily like his band. And I was like, I really, really, really want to go to this concert. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's, you know, we'll, we'll spend the money, which is a huge thing in grad school when you don't have money to spend. Like, let's go and do it. And so we head down. Uh, we had dinner at this great restaurant called the Napoleon House, which has really, really, really good boudin balls if you go, and very good Pim's cups mm-hmm. too, and jambalaya, and just just the oh. normal Louisiana affairs, mm-hmm. really great. And we go to the House of Blues to line up, and I was sort of immensely pleased because I see the line is stretching down the block, and I'm like, see. I told you that I wasn't the only person out there that liked this band. Look at all of these people lining up. 
And you didn't quite buy into that. No, and Jordan's very much a uh, – she's a prep person. She she makes lists. She prepares. She's like, we got to get there early. we got to get to Na- the Napoleon that's house. That's because she didn't do that when she was going to go to New York and didn't get to uh-huh, go. That changed true. everything. Yeah, I learned the lesson. <laughs> so she said, we, we have to make sure we eat at the House of Blues, you know, this this many minutes or hours prior to so we can have this many minutes or hours <clears throat> in line because it's going to be a long line. And so we're in the Napoleon house from the window we can see. Um, I believe the House of Blues, and it's like a long line. I'm thinking like not that the band doesn't deserve a long line because they're a fine band. They're not my favorite <laughs> band. But I couldn't imagine that this many people in, in New Orleans were going to, to wait in line um, for Pela <laughs> slash We Are Augustine slash Augustines. Um, yeah, they haven't, they haven't landed on a name yet. Um, so take it away. So we get in line. We, we go in. We get our tickets scanned with everyone else. They give us bracelets. We go into, like, the main kind of House of Blues where they've got the stage, but they have all these chairs set up, which I thought, like, that's a little weird for, I mean, they're not like a super rocking band, but I was like, it's weird that they just have chairs. But we're like, you know, it's New Orleans, who knows? And so on all of the television screens around the room, they're showing the name of the band. You know what I mean? They're cycling through, like, a couple of other events and stuff, but they're showing the name of the band. So we sit down, and I'm like, well, this seems right. You know, like, this is obviously where the band's going to play. And so... I think my first time I was like a little bit just maybe less confident was when they brought in like a bachelorette party to sit in front of us. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird bachelorette event. But who knows? Maybe they were like, let's just see whatever's playing at the House of Blues. Had they written the chapel song and done that yet, or no? I don't think they had, oh, okay. or maybe they had written the chapel okay. song. Yeah, trying to make sense of this. Yeah. So nonetheless, I explained it away. I was like. It, it all works. And then a magician came out, and he was dressed like the guy from uh, Clockwork Orange. You know, he's got, like, the top hat. He's got the under eye, you know, black. Uh, and this is out of context. This is out of context. <laughs> but still at this moment, I'm telling myself, I'm like, you know what? This is New Orleans. Maybe instead right. of another Anything's band, possible. they Anything's have possible. a magician. Like, yeah. it's just an opening act. Like, who says it has to be another musical opening act? So I wait. And yeah. then... Yeah, and so after after that, and we're like, you know, whatever. We've never been to House of Blues here. They could have magicians. They have magicians all all over the place in the French Quarter. Whatever, um, along Jackson Square. You know, they might have a, a tarot card reader coming out. We don't know what's happening. Then a burlesque show takes place afterwards. Yes, there were like six women that performed mm-hmm. all. Like going increasing in terms of their talent, their strength, their ability, getting more and more amazing with each performance. Full burlesque. I think mm-hmm. the first one started off with just like the woman in the chair and like your typical kind of like burlesque mm-hmm. dance striptease. But then like by the end of it, they they had like a woman that they had somehow put something down on the floor where she could ice skate on the stage, mm-hmm. and she was like doing an ice skating burlesque. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. Like the strength, the power, like the the athletic prowess. Of these women, like and doing you were all, all this you were stuff. fully engaged. Yeah, well, but, but again, were you still? <laughs> well, I mean, inter- you know, I kept looking around and I keep saying, like, "There's the name of the band." Yeah. Maybe in New Orleans, you just have a magician and a burlesque show before then yeah. the concert. And intermittently, right? the magician comes out and he does a little bit more, and then yeah, he'll, and, and then like, maybe they're stalling. You know, like maybe the bandmate is sick or drunk and they're like trying to sober I'm like, I'm like who knows let's see like let's sign out what happens and after the ice skating one the uh, magician slash host guy um, comes out says everybody I hope you had a great night there's some merch at the back of the room he leaves house lights kick on and everybody starts filing out and I'm devastated 
because we've spent the money on the tickets. And I'm like, and you bought the wrong tickets. I didn't. Well, or no, you, what we was had, Mike. What, what I bought the right tickets. So, so I'm they were scanned and everything. Wrong day. Yeah. No, no, no. So we wrong go. Wrong room. Well, yes. Oh, we go outside, no. and we go outside, and I see that on kind of like right before you get to the alleyway, there's this little side glass door that, in kind of printed out paper, says, "We are Augustine's upstairs bar." And I was like, oh. And Michael's like, now this makes more sense. Yeah. Like, they're not playing the main House of Blues. They're playing in the upstairs bar. And so we there opened the door. There was waiting for a burlesque show. <laughs> waiting for a burlesque. So, so what was great is, like, we go, you know, we talked to the guy. So I um, open the door, and I and I can hear the them playing at the top. So I run up the top of the stairs, and we still have on our armbands. And they scanned our Augustine tickets for the burlesque show and let us in. So I, like, very quickly, and I think probably he just, took pity on me because I was like we we scanned our tickets downstairs but we've got our bracelets and he there were like you know maybe 25 people in the room so he's like yeah go on and you're yeah. fine so we caught maybe the last like the second half of their mm-hmm. set and they were down a member and it it was one of those moments where it didn't quite like capture the what I thought seeing them in concert would be like. I mean, especially after seeing the burlesque. They just didn't really hold a candle to the burlesque on ice. No, I would say you know. I mean, it was it was the lead singer playing an acoustic, and I think someone had a a drum box. A, yeah, and yeah. it was. I mean, they, they didn't have a bass like they would normally, but it was pretty good was for really, the fact yeah. that I think the guy had gone through a fair bit of yeah. whiskey. Well, um, and I and, think and Billy McCarthy is one of those singers where he's just always kind of like in the audience so he would like had his guitar and he would like walk out through the 25 of us that were in the room and it was really like personable and and that kind of thing yeah so we caught a magician we got a we got a magic show burlesque half of a concert and then we leave on the way out we happen to as our as we're walking to our civic we catch and we and we hadn't been able to do this yet um in our couple years there we caught one of the parades leading up to um, Mardi, Mardi yeah. Gras. So during carnival season, there are numerous uh, parades, obviously, leading up to the big one. We hadn't been able to see any of them in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, they show up in Baton Rouge, certainly on uh, on Mardi Gras, St. Patrick's Day, and so on, so on and so forth. But we got to catch a parade in New yeah. Orleans uh, so leading up to... And the sunglasses and all of this stuff that they tossed out on our way back to the car. Yeah, the so, so I think the reason that we picked kind of this event is it's one of those kind of magical uh, moments that you get, um, certainly in big cities, but for us it was New Orleans, where a lot of, it's kind of a constellation of events that take place that you would have never been able to to really put together for us. It was a concert and a dinner, but it was a lot more than that. Yeah, it was like a classic New Orleans night that I feel like when you spend time in the city or like our oldest son having been born in Louisiana, and we lived there for about seven years, there's just something about the, the people and the place and the music that kind of just changes your DNA a bit like it it changes your your taste for food it changes like your affinity you know the Zydeco band like it just really infiltrates it and so this song by Irma Thomas is probably the one that just I feel like is the <coughs> the, the kind of sentiment for our life there and it, yeah and it's obviously a go, go ahead. ahead no go ahead no it's a cover of uh, Van Morrison, right? It's a cover of a Van Morrison song. And I think, Richard, to go back to one of the points you were making a while ago, I don't think she changes the pronouns either. So oh, I think yeah. there's a way in which, you know, there's a female. What's that word? I don't think she's changing the pronouns. No, no, no. Oh, the, oh, the, the heterodiagetical. Yeah, yeah, I don't think. So. What is it? Hetero? 
heterodiegetic. Yeah, yeah, this is three heterodiegetic stories. It's, I know. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking of this theme, but so there's a really fun way in which she's playing with that um, yeah. idea in this song too. And she's a she's a Louisiana native that just I mean the queen of New Orleans, the queen of New Orleans. And this song is it's better than Van Morrison. I mean, it's one of those. It's mm. it's like Joe Cocker. It's like one of those ones where the cover outshines the original. Yeah. Which is hard to do with Van Morrison. Van Morrison's making me angry a little bit now also, you know, with some of the things he's been yeah. weird things he's I mean he's said some you know, some weird things in terms of COVID pretty recently. Oh. He said some oh. yeah, and I think it's hard for musicians, they want to get out and perform, but he's said some really strange things recently, so yeah. Well, on that note, shall we listen to it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I love I love Van Morrison, but um, let's listen to it. Yeah. Uh, so it's Irma Thomas's cover of Crazy Love. Mm. I don't know. I just like I just love her voice. I wasn't even thinking about the I, story anymore. Yeah, I think that that one takes me. I mean, it takes me back to our our life in Baton Rouge. You know, being at first. Oh, I keep hitting that. <laughs> our first, just the <laughs> the two of us, and then you know, being pregnant for the first time, and having our our son, and having kind of a two years there where we lived in the small house in Baton Rouge where we could pretty much walk to most places that we needed to get and you know it was one of those classical Louisiana houses where you don't have air conditioner you only have the window units and you know the water under the house kind of seeps up through the floor because there's no kind of underlayment or anything like that and in the winter time our son's room would get into the 50s because there was no heat and uh, in the summer it would be like you know in the 90s with, you know, 110% humidity. And so it just kind of takes me back to that life of being, we've always sort of lived until now really far from both of our families after we got married. I mean, we we lived out of the country and then we lived in Kansas and our families were always sort of Florida or for his South Carolina based. And so this is the closest we've lived to families in a long time. And I think because when you're so far away like that, you you sort of create your own space and your own kind of traditions and your rituals. And so I think Louisiana was really that place for us, kind of figuring out like what our family dynamic was going to look like. And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. after Wally came along and then now two years since or, yeah, two years ago, we welcomed Freddie. So another... Wally and Freddie. Wally and Freddie. Um, We've got, you know... Is Wally short for anything? Uh, he's Walter. they're both they're both yeah. old man names. So he's Walter and his brother is Alfred, but they oh, are both Wally and Freddie. And uh, you know, I think we we think a lot of times about like wanting them to grow up with the same kind of music, you know, that we not that we grew up with to that extent, but at least with music as a background, right? It's kind of like an ever present, always playing thing, you know. And mm. yeah, do you guys really have? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Typewriters? Oh, yeah. That you use? Oh, yeah, God. Yeah. Mike, it's, I mean, he, Michael's got, he's got. Do you have one of those bikes five. with the big, huge front wheel? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I have a postcard of one in my office. Yeah. It's my dream bike. Um, <laughs> no, we have, we have like okay. five or six typewriters. Um, yeah. Now, they're not all in, all in working order. Uh, manual? Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. Some, do you have any electrics or do you just all old well, Those are all, yeah, these are, these are all manual. Not necessarily opposed to an electric. Yeah. typewriter but again i think you were like michael's kind of collecting typewriters before it was cool you know he was always doing the kind of weird is it cool to I, have now to... i think now it's cool oh, i mean right. i saw a typewriter on a coffee mug you know so it's, it's kind of cool oh, okay 
but I mean, yeah. I don't know clip what that art makes you cool. cool. Yeah, clip art typewriter. Um, but. but do you like seriously? Do you like do you like work on like if you're writing a paper? Are you do you no, use a computer or do you use a typewriter? That's terrible, and that's really at this point really taxing to like work on a right. paper. You'd on have it. to yeah. you'd have to really use it all the time. No. I like to I like to I like to tinker with them. Um, yeah. And he I, likes to take them apart, and they take up space on our limited bookshelf, which is already really hard for two English people who have a lot of books and are, you know, kind of warring and battling over the limited space we have at home. The fact that he wants to take up so much space with a typewriter, oh, it's kind of sensitive territory. <laughs> I have my grandmother's old typewriter yeah. that oh, has cool. – it types in a cursive font. Really? Yeah. And that's how, like, all her letters and, like, thank you letters and stuff when I was a kid. It's, like, from the 50s. I'll have to, like, send you the model or whatever. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. So I wrote my first ever, um, you know, in school, at at some point you had to, and I think maybe some people listening to this won't know what this is, uh, but, you you know, you had to type things out for the first time. You couldn't handwrite something. I had to Mm -hmm. type something for the first time. But my family didn't own a computer, Mm -hmm. so we tracked down a typewriter, and I hand-typed everything for my presentations for probably about two years or so until we actually had access to um, a computer or someone could get me to the library so I could print things out for, you know, like four cents or something like that. But yeah, everything, I did all of my projects on typewriters. That is amazing. You know, and like the commitment of like not just having the backspace, but having to white out and then realign the paper back up. Yeah. You're bringing oh, me back to like amazing. a middle school project on like iron smelting or something that I did on like not not a, not a typewriter per se, but like a word processor, like they're plugged in, but like similar thing. Like you had yeah. to make sure. That I think the tinkering was... with typewriters was something that came out of graduate school for him, but also you know there's so much mm-hmm. in, when you're in school where you you're not seeing kind of the immediate results of your labor like it's kind of this miserable state where you you feel like you're working all the time but you don't actually see any of the results so he got into like typewriter tinkering we started we started reupholstering furniture when we were in grad school mm-hmm. and we still have you know we reupholstered the sofa that we still have and mm-hmm. chairs and it, it was like things that you could do that would immediately like improve your space like where you are in your home that didn't really cost a lot except for your own labor but you could complete it you know like you knew like now this chair is done. We've replaced all the fabric on it. And you just got like this intense gratification that I think was really important for our kind of mental health in grad Mm -hmm. school because otherwise you just feel like you're working towards this thing that is amorphous and will never be completed. You know, it feels that way. One day it just becomes this little thing you can just carry around. Yeah, Yeah. exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to well, my mom forced me to take typing in middle school, but in seventh and eighth grade, I took typing one and typing two, and it was on manual typewriters. Mm-hmm. Like that was right at the very end because when I got to high school, they were electric typewriters, yeah. but mm-hmm. they put tape over the keys. So I had to learn how to touch type on a manual typewriter wow. as like a seventh grader. And you know what I can do now? I can type like the freaking wind. And, like I've got everything <laughs> down. I'm like touch typing oh, yeah. the F keys. You know what I mean? Nice. <laughs> I find it. Yeah, I find it really hard. Like you're on kind of this home row, and you're—is that how you do it, or on yeah. a manual typewriter? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It's you're same, not. Same. I mean, I, the, the pressure that you have to put on these keys to be able oh, to do yeah. it. Yeah, that's yeah. really impressive, though. Um, I mean, I couldn't do it now. Like when I try my grandma's, it's like you know, everything gets all <laughs> jiggly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all hitting together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, just real quick, Hemingway and music. First thing that comes to your mind. 
first thing that comes to mind is uh, this Italian uh, folk song that he he sang with Mary uh, toward the end of his fourth wife, uh, Mary, toward the end of his life. I'm going to butcher the Italian, but it's Tutto mi chiamano biondi or something like that. What's Tutto? the melody? Um, I, don't, I don't know that. I don't know, but it's Would that a, be on YouTube? It would be on YouTube. I'll tell you, it's at the end of the uh, podcast uh, that we that we run too. Um, it, it's but it's, we place um, it there, and I'm, uh, we place it there because like the last song he sang with her right before like the next morning he uh, kills himself, and it's a really it's a beautiful song. It's a really important song, obviously in terms of his life, and so like that's where I go um, uh, with Hemingway. Um, it's a really pivotal kind of moment uh, there in his life. Cool. Um, I think it's I, I I don't know what the translation is, but something like "Call Me Blonde" or something about blonde blonde hair and things like that. TV yeah. theme song that you would sing with us? Oh, TV theme song. Um, oh, probably the Wonder Years. Joe Cocker, Ooh. right? That, like that was classic. like uh, yesterday. He came down to two, and that was the one we didn't sing. That was the one you didn't sing. Yeah. What was the one he did? Uh, Jefferson's. Oh, yeah, Jefferson's. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one, too. <laughs> uh, you would you, that wait, one. what would be yours? I would, Sorry. Um, when I was... You I guys would, have to, yeah, you have to decide. We have to oh, we have to yours? decide. Oh, yeah. We have the one. That was better than mine. Well, well share yours. And no, then, we yeah. can play them both at once. No, no. Oh, yeah. Jazz, jazz yeah. plus jazz don't, equals don't. jazz. Mine is, mine is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. And Jared really wants that. We can do both. Then let's do that. No, 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 no. I don't know if I knew the words. Play them both at the same time. I'll sing one, and you know we can each choose our... I'll sing the Wonder Years. Get two tabs I'm going to sing the Wonder Years, too. This is the greatest mashup. We're going to play them concurrently. Really oh my is. gosh! And see how this turns out. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. A cacophony. It could voice. be perfect. I, yeah, or have, it could be like yeah. Pink Floyd and the Wizard of Oz. Right. Could be. Right? A, there's a non-zero I don't think chance. It's going to be. It'll be perfect. <laughs> I, it might be zero. <laughs> I haven't heard a really good mashup since the Rock of Ages film. All right, <laughs> we're making one on the fly here. All right, Jared, which one's longer, Jared? Which one's longer? Watch the second half, Tara. Oh, they're okay, so fire, fire the Ninja Turtles one, and then four seconds later, right? Oh my gosh, this is okay. so go. Two, three, go. We need the Wonder Years. It's going. The video. I think the Wonder Years starts slow. Yeah, it does. What would I do if I say Would you stand up and walk out on me? Let me sing you a song. And I'll try not to sing out of key. And I am oh, baby, now. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles totally was like drowning was out. Drowned drowned out. Everything. Everything. Was drowning out. Jared is still rocking. And Turtle so, power. So I could never hear. I could never hear. <laughs> <laughs> The the, the Wonder Years song. Went. I don't know if it's like the mix or whatever, but I I mean I could hear you guys singing it, but I could not hear it at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like it was not present in my headphones, like at all. 
Which was fine. No, I just was... had, all I had to say was turtle power. I yeah. got, I got off so easy yeah. that time. Yeah, it was just much lower than the turtles one. Uh, I think we did an amazing job. I, I think, did, I did, think have, that was you magic. You have such a beautiful voice. I thought Why are you going to make me... Thank you. You know what you've made me have to make? Yeah. In post-production yeah. for this episode? Yeah, you're going to make it work. upsetting. You're going to make it work. I don't think yeah. I am. Yes, you if are. If anyone can do it, it's you. Well, you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll just mix them to... Um, what's the Space Jam... Song? Uh, Come on and slam. Oh yeah. <laughs> any song. Any oh yeah, song I've seen that. Can be mixed with Come on and slam. There yeah. you go. Um, yeah. Okay, if you guys were a championship wrestling tag team, what would your names be, and what song would you come into the arena on? Oh lord. Um, I mean, honey, Listen, wrestling is more your background from your. I did love wrestling. Your southern youth than mine. <laughs> I did love wrestling, but it would have to be an academic thing. Oh that? well, no, I did watch the Netflix series Glow. Uh, wasn't so that good? It was yeah. really it was good. So I would want to be. Um, uh, yeah, I would want to be one of. I would want to be one of them. One no, of theirs. No, as the original. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. as the original. You can oh, okay. base it on. Okay, well, I'm inspired yeah. by. Um, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Yeah, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. We're tag team. You you pick yours first. No, yeah, but let's pick our team name. Okay. Doctor something. It could be. Let's have like, something. Like a professor. Like Michael <gasps> Jordan. Our, no, I think our, our team name would be our team name would be uh, a phrase because we're we're long winded that way. Vons have more fun. Ooh, yeah. And yes. what song would you come out to? Mm. One of those Von Trapp family songs from. Oh yeah. <laughs> This is a really, really hard Oh, let's question. do the... Well, thinking about our kids, we recently watched uh, the Goofy movie with our five-year-old. Yeah. And the Goofy movie has a really rocking soundtrack. What song from the Goofy um, movie would there's actually work a, for I'm wrestling? There's a YouTube video day. about... That one. <laughs> Which one? The one that's um, where he's pretending to be the famous... It's a piece of cake. Oh, yeah. Stand out. I... Above the crowd. Let's do that one. Oh, by, this is a really by by. Oh no, what's his name? Live line. Uh, high line or uh, no? Power line. Power line. Power line. Power line. Power line. Oh, those dance moves were so good. Yeah, he was really cool. As long as we can just do the dance moves as we're going into your the finishing, ring. your finishing combo move could be the last dance. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the great. And we get to do the great. Oh, can we yeah. do it? That'll be one can of our old moves. Can we yeah. do that for a real? Was it, what, what's can the Michael cast called? The, the ultimate. The ultimate cast. The ultimate cast. We'll do real that as one of our moves. Oh my god! You should be the one doing the ultimate. No, you have to do it. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen the Goofy movie in a while. But the perfect cast. The perfect cast. There it is. Okay. Just remember, keep your back me up. Back knee high. This is awesome. Okay. He's Richard's coming in. Gotta keep your back leg up when he when he throws it. Oh my gosh! See, this is why you love the internet. He's on his toes. I'm in the studio alone now. I'll cycle through and just try to do your best to yes and up though. Okay. Arms up. Arms up. Toes. Yeah, jump. Move your toes. Click your heels together. There you go. I'm gonna move out of the way for that one. Don't kick it. There you go. Get that leg up. There you go. Oh, this is backing up. And both arms up. Both arms. Okay. And then chest. And now put your leg up at the back. Lean forward. Yeah. There you go. I'm not telling anyone what what happened. No. It doesn't need context. The goofy, a goofy, goofy I mean, movie I think, fan. I think it's arguably pretty perfect. much nailed it. Just like goofy movie, if you know, you know, is what my students would say. Yeah. Right? If you know, oh. you know. If you know, you know. Awesome. Okay. Thank, thank you for that instructable. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what would it be? You go first. Mm, so this isn't what I like to drink. This no. is if well, I if was you were, if a drink. It was distilled you. Mm, if I was represent. distilled. It sounds like you don't like yourself. Probably something a little bitter, <laughs> but, <laughs> but also sweet. Um, maybe... Maybe something. I, I mean, I, I'm gonna think I would go back and I'll say maybe like a Pim's cup, right? Because you've got a little bit of like the the kind of like you know Pim's as just like a it's regular kind of liquor is not really sweet, but you mix it with sort of something that's sparkling. There's a little bit of lemon, and then you can just add whatever you want to it. And Cucumber. it's old timey. Yeah, and it's old timey, and I feel like <laughs> yes, that fits yeah. my grandma aesthetic. What's it called? Uh, like brand it. Um, the. Wait, like what I would be? That's not the for our cup? cookbook, cocktail oh, cookbook. For cocktail cookbook. Oh gosh, um, the J. The J. Yeah. Oh Michael. wow. I know mine was really good. I don't know what you're gonna say. She's up here. Yeah, <laughs> she started up there with it. I would probably just be a, just a, <clears throat> probably a GNT, simple. Do I have to make something in addition give something to this signature? You got to give some kind yeah. of twist to it. A little sour, but. That's not something in addition to that. That's what I need to do. You just, yeah, you need to make it something that if somebody ordered it at a bar, they wouldn't just make a gin and tonic. I think yours might have an interesting straw. <laughs> That's what you get with me is an interesting straw. A straw carved out of an antler. Maybe some, yeah, some other, yeah. Give, yeah, give me some, maybe some other fruit with it. I don't know. Um, yeah. And it's called? You were the J? Yeah. Too simple for me to be the M? I don't yeah. know. It, uh, it'll be called Fat Face. Ooh, that was that was one of her names for me. Yeah. yeah. In high school. Oh, that's fine. I was going to ask next if you yeah. guys had nicknames. Yeah. Is that, that... She had a lot. Face. Yeah. His was kind of Fat Face, but not ever because, I mean, you were always you were always the developed person that you are now. But it was just an affectionate one because, you know. Very ironic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hers was Jay, uh, yeah. Yeah, he'd call me Jay mainly. Yeah. Yeah, my parents always called me Baby Doll, but he thankfully never called me that. But Mm -hmm. that was like my childhood nickname growing up. And so certainly, you know, being someone that works on gender studies, you think through all of like the the kind of implications of those kinds of diction when you're thinking about it. And and they they had no ill intention, but, you know. Get to think through it. Yeah, Jordan's name comes from actually the the Great Gatsby inspired. Huh. Yeah. Um, her mom to name or her parents to name her Jordan. So there's they, and there's some nice kind of androgyny to that name yeah. certainly. So my parents really wanted a name that I think their ethos was like we <clears throat> never wanted you to not get a job because someone saw the name and thought you were a woman. And you know, so it's like a very seventies kind of wow. feminist yeah. aesthetic. And so they it was Jordan, but it was also the masculine spelling of Jordan. And um, and then my brother's name, they they actually let me pick the name for him, and I picked uh, Jesse after Uncle Jesse from Full House, which was nice. my favorite show at that yep. time. Nice, you yeah. know. Um, so. Okay, you guys have to decide together. You get to broadcast a song into the head of every human simultaneously. Mm. That's an incredible amount of power. Hold on. Got to be on, it, on, and it has to be on that device. Okay, you gonna, on are you just going <laughs> to shuffle random, or are we going to pick? I, I think we need to pick this. Okay. Can we take a moment to? You got yeah, it. This is like this the sound a... of them scrolling. Oh no! Uh, yeah, we. I think we. Let's see. Hmm. 
And we both, oh, sometimes our musical taste is so different. They do diverge. Like, I wouldn't mind Velvet Underground, but you don't want that. No. If, if it's going to be in everyone's head, I want something that, you know, starts a dance party. We can dance to Velvet Underground. God. I, we shouldn't be looking through all of it. We should just be going to the playlist. So we've got Dinner for Wally. 90s rock and roll. Let's see what's on here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're making some feedback. Sorry. Which one? Mm -hmm. That one. You want to do a Blink-182 song? Yeah, we let's like do it. We're going to do a Blink-182 song because we didn't get to talk about Blink-182, but that's, that is one of the bands that he's played the drums to recently. Um, no, I played air drums to Blink-182, and yeah. Travis Barker's amazing. And it helps with his, It helps get his heart rate up, which is so important in our older age, you know, that he gets that cardio in. Yeah. Um, you want to do what Blink song? Let's do Rock Show. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Blink-182, I think it's just called Rock Show. Let me see. I think it's just called The Rock Show. Okay. Sure. That's a good one. I mean, it was on their Take Off Your Pants and Jacket album. Yep, just called The Rock Show. Where do y'all's musical tastes diverge the most? Mm. Is there any place where there's no Venn diagram? She doesn't like Radiohead. <clears throat> I like and the Radiohead. all the things that are connected to Radiohead. I like the Radiohead where they play their instruments and not computers. She likes That's Pablo Radiohead. Honey, the fir pretty much the first, and then after that. Everything from OK Computer It's on. not my kind of music, so yeah. I would say that that's a big difference for us there. I'm a really big fan. I love a lot of Motown music, and so a lot of, like, you know, the Bee Gees and some other things like that that are that I don't think you are always... You hate that song, A Second That Emotion. You know, I could listen to, like, the big chill soundtrack, and he's like, There's one, I hit my max. Yeah, there are a few songs that I don't like, but I love other songs. Emotion. Yeah. You don't like that one. It's yeah. a good song. It's so wholesome. Yeah. So we have a lot of, like, divergent taste, and that's, I think, why the iPod is so weird and also why his Spotify but, is so messed up. But I, but I will say, I look at, we look at some friends, um, and, I mean, it's just kind of bipolar in the sense of, like, their, their taste. And I think our tastes are 70% mm -hmm. similar. I think the, the center of the Venn diagram on our taste is, like, 90s rock, like California, 90, you mm -hmm. know, like – no doubt, third eye blind, like all of these like classic, you know, there's like a lot of yeah. overlap there, I think, from our childhood. And then also all of like the 60s and 70s classic rock, like the Beatles and Van Morrison and Led Zeppelin and Bob Dylan. Because again, like, you know, he was discovering all of that stuff in high school and kind of falling in love with it. And then I already knew all the words to those songs because I had grown up with yeah. them. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, you're yeah. finally getting around to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so. Did you guys know each other when you were 14? I was 14 when we knew each yeah, other. Yeah, we were, yeah. We were. Well, I, the, what were you going to say? He was 17. Yeah. He was a little bit older. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the question we ask is what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? What would your 14 and 17-year-old selves think of the fact that you're sitting here today having lived the life you've lived together? Mm hmm I want you, you to. Go, no. <laughs> you go first. I mean, first of all, I I think my... 14-year-old, my 17-year-old self would probably um, wish that I had not had a, how long has it been in terms of drums looping back? 
Like, what's that been that gap? It was probably maybe about 10 years that he lived without a drum set. Yeah. So that's the only thing I think my 17-year-old self would have uh, kicked me for. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you want to have an acoustic drum set, it's really hard when you have neighbors and you don't have such amazing acoustic foam. Um, I came in here, I was very jealous of you for your acoustic foam uh, in this in this room. But mm-hmm. no, I, I mean... I think I'm sure you're going to have a much better answer than I have right now. Would you be surprised that you would have been sitting here with your wife? Absolutely not. No? No. Saw it coming. Saw it coming. No. This is not a surprise to me that we um, – maybe it's a surprise that we're doing the same thing, similar kinds of things. Because when I met Jordan, she was very much kind of on the sciences route. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a molecular biologist, I if I remember correctly. Yeah. So the fact that we're doing similar kind of work in terms of uh, – English and literature and things like that is the is the only surprise. But in terms of uh, being here, kind of working um, at, at a university and academia, that's not too surprising to me. Mm-hmm. That we're sitting here, even even um, talking about music, um, yeah. not too surprising. That you were going to marry me, not too surprising when you were seventeen. No, I don't think so. No, that would have probably that surprised coming. you when you were fourteen. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that was like on my mind. I'm saying it's just not surprising. You're not saying I didn't even have to try. No, that's not what I'm saying. No, I'm just saying it wasn't like a it wasn't a surprising thing in terms of how life unfolded to me. Yeah, I think we've talked about it a lot, like thinking about friends and watching them date through their twenties, and and I think for us it was always it was sort of different because it was kind of like if it wasn't you, it probably wouldn't have been anyone else. You know, like I, I don't necessarily know that my life that I have now with. Michael and our kids, I don't know that I see that as like what would have been my life always without him. It was sort of, I think it was just this thing where you, we kind of just met our person when we were young and we were kids, but we, we grew up together in a way that sort of worked and, and always stayed together. And, you know, now, I mean, he has been, I have, he has been part of my life longer than I have lived without him, you know what Mm. I mean? In that kind of sense, we crossed that line. And so it was this real kind of significant moment. But yeah, he's just my person in a lot of ways. So I I think in my 14-year-old self, I mean, we certainly were not thinking about (laughs) marriage or things like that then. You know, we were focused on like school and college, but there was certainly a lot about him that I don't think we quite had the kind of dramatic ups and downs of like maybe a normal teenage courtship. You know, and I think that maybe that was sometimes to the uh, frustration of of like, you know, people in our life that wanted it to be this really dramatic thing. But we were just kind of too boring for that, you know, and so it, it just kind of always worked. And, and I think seeing where we are now, there's probably not much that surprises me. I mean, the, the amount of time, especially in light of COVID the last year that we've it's been hard in a number of ways, but the immense privilege to be able to be home with our children and like be home with our our boys. I mean, we we very much love spending time with them at home, listening to music, dancing, like just kind of the things that we we get a lot of pleasure out of, like these kinds of daily little tasks. And so that all, I think, fits with who I was when I was 14, you know, like that kind of matches. Mm. It was never, mm. never kind of crazy in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's time for you guys to recommend your three people. Mm. Do you know about that? Oh, you know about that. That yeah. was in the instructions. It's. You didn't tell me that part. 
Hmm. The criteria is you guys this have to is... pick three people that you'll share it with mm-hmm. yeah. who will maybe listen to it. But then you also yes, think you can get them yeah. to be on the show. And they don't have to be local. Like it could be oh, the guy cool. that you do the podcast with Absolutely. or you know, whoever. Yeah. Very fun. Good. Now I have two other people. Okay. <laughs> um, mm, let me think. Well, I think I would – you want to go first with your recommendation? I mean, maybe we can go back and forth because I'm still thinking of a couple other people. Oh, okay. Um, Three between you. Oh, oh, good. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> You've been thinking of oh, This is great. Okay. <laughs> this is the best news. No, I think I would pick um, my podcast uh, co-host. Podcast uh, Mark. Podcast Mark. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I think, you'd, I think you'd be great. Um, I guarantee you, uh, I, I suspect – um, if Bob doesn't show up in one of the songs, he'll show up in some of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's see. What would be one of yours? Um, hmm. You didn't tell me about this part, so <laughs> the instructions. You can do two, and then you can email us when you're ready. Okay. No, this, no we put it on the spot. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but if you think of it Maybe before he's it. done, then you can yeah. do it now. It can, be, it can be friends. It has to be people here. No, anybody. Anybody hmm. at all? You it could be somebody you went to, to high the school instructions with. Instructions when Mike was just telling you. Yeah, no, you. Mike. I have, I have anywhere. This is important to know. I have a very poor memory. I've just okay? recently <laughs> decided that I'm going to take the instructions and just make it bullet points because so, I just oh, think there's too many words yeah. for people. I don't think we read I really, words. Yeah, anymore. <laughs> I really my the friend that we've talked about, the one who's was really dear to us in high school and really we're really close to a mutual yes. friend. I would put I would put him on the list too. What's um, his name? Chris Griffith. Chris Griffith. Um, yeah, up in up, he's up in uh, Brooklyn Isn't now. Isn't that the Family Guy's kid? It might be. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> yeah, looks nothing like the Family Guy kid. But uh, maybe that's why he went by Topher in college. I think so. Guy was so he popular. did. Go, yeah, he did go through a couple a couple <laughs> yeah. years of Topher. Um, but he, you know, his musical tastes similar to ours. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe fifty percent mine, twenty five percent yours. Yeah. But I mean. <laughs> No, he's, Chris he's was someone we listened another... to a lot of music with. I still remember like the night of being devastated when the U2 album, Disman- How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, came out, and we listened to it, and it was so bad. And we were like, <laughs> we were all listening, and we are like, oh. like it's At some not... point, you just had to give up hope. Yeah, yeah. you just and, had to give up hope. Yeah, and what's great about him is he's very fervent in his musical mm-hmm. interests. So for okay. a period of time, he was very, like high school, very into... Creed. He was. I'm very into Creed. I'm going to tell and the story about Chris just because he, he loves us and it'll be okay. And you're going to share this with him so he's listening to us. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is great. Yes. Yeah. He'll, he'll love this. When yeah. I – Chris Hi, used Chris. to give me uh, <laughs> rides to, to high school, which was really kind of him. And when we were in the car, our other friend Jonathan was also a very big fan of Creed. But if there was a Creed song playing, we couldn't get out of the car until the song finished like, even if the bell had rang and I'm, you know, like a freshman and like very eager to be on time for class. And there was like a, there was like a, a s- sacred kind of space of it. But I would say his his musical taste is like one of those ones that's like incredibly diverse and eclectic. And all of the songs in college, like all the bands and stuff, I feel like they came to me in some way through Chris, you know. Yeah. But yeah. college is like, you know, I mean, those years it was like Death Cab and Bright Eyes and Pedro the, the Lion and the Eels. It's like he's, you know, he was a, a channel for, conduit yeah. for that kind of music in a lot of ways for Good me. Good music. Yeah. Um, come up with anybody? Come on, I've come up with two. 
I'm just hearing this news that we have to pick. So, <laughs> um, I think maybe I think that I would probably love to hear from. I'm gonna pick another friend from kind mm-hmm. of high school. I think uh, Mr. Jeremy Holder. He's mm. another friend from high school that kind of that one that was really good. That was kind of the like the acoustic guitar duo, um, also in art class with <laughs> yeah. with uh, Michael. Yeah, they they did a lot of like they built this kind of amazing like table mosaic out of like broken CDs and blue and yellow tiles to create like the sun and the moon with like an old television set in the middle of it that my parents had in their backyard garden for a while till like the Florida weather sort of destroyed it. Um, And now he's just, uh, he just graduated and he's going to be a rocket scientist. Is that right? A rocket like engineering? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's one of those people that's like very artistic, you know, can sing, can play the guitar, but also like went kind of the... Really good at telemetry. Yeah. 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 Really good at that. But like in high school, we were in, I I think it was an AP history class. And we were like not the best AP history students. But one way that we thought we could learn some of it was like by using music. Um, And so I forget what the song was that we adapted, but we learned... We took historical facts, information, you know, just facts and figures um, about the Schleifen plan um, <laughs> to a song and put it to a song. Um, I wish I had a tape of it. It was ter- It was terrible, but memorable. But memorable in the sense that I remember it was about the Do Schleifen you remember plan. Remember a little bit of it. Um, Schleifen plan. They traveled through France. Do 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 do. Um, there was something there. It was in that melody. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Again, like I said, not the best AP history student. Um, he says that, but Michael was also the valedictorian of his graduating mm-hmm. class, yeah. so he's always been a nerd on the inside. So he got like a ninety-eight in AP history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know those two points. <laughs> <laughs> so. oh, All right. Well, you guys have done did it. Do you have any final uh, thoughts or anything? Well, I was just gonna say that I think that. This has been such a fun experience, but Mike, this whole idea that you all have of like creating the songs through stories, like you had said at the beginning, I I love it. There's something almost cinematic in that, right? Like to think back through the soundtrack of your life and having the homework assignment. I had not reflected before on how seminal like those kinds of like movie moments were, you know, in your own life. So... Yeah, yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, I was thinking back on this too. It's like, especially the early year ones, the early year songs. I was trying to think about like the, just the thinking. I was thinking initially that's going to be hard because there's just this diversity of song. And yeah, there, 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 there was a diversity in terms of maybe songs. But for me, I was realizing not necessarily of like genre. It was like a typical '90s, early 2000s suburban white kid. You know, I was like, th- like the. Uh, the uh, Ben Folds Rock in the Suburbs mm-hmm, kind of song was mm-hmm. coming to mind. You know, this this guy who's like so angsty, all he wants to do is like drop a four letter word on the micro on the mic. Like that's how he thinks about expressing himself. It's like this in a way I was like thinking about it almost cringy. Um like there was for me like this real limitation of diversity in my music. Um and thank thank God it's become much more diverse um, since then. But that was one of the realizations um, uh, from this. Um, not that you don't feel deeply um, in your, in your teenage, in your teenage <laughs> years, but like the way that it gets expressed in the music. They, they, in some ways, if you're only listening to, uh, you know, 90s California post-punk 
ska music. You know, it's great music, but it's only like one <laughs> mode of expression, and like therefore it kind of limits what you really do think and feel in some sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I was thinking a bit about that, but also, you know, you said this early on when we were when you were talking about this to me. It's like, you know, you said pick three songs. I said, oh, three of my favorites, so three of three of our favorite songs. You said, no, not your favorites. They don't have to be your favorites. And you know, that was really interesting to me as I was going through this. Like, they don't have to be the favorites. In fact, a couple of the songs aren't. You know, they're not our favorites. Maybe Irma Thomas um, is a favorite, mm-hmm. um, but the others. I mean, they're they're poignant in the sense they bring us to a moment. Um, but not necessarily favorite songs. And isn't that true? Like the favorite songs are not necessarily ones that draw you uh, to to memories that they can really be bitter or bittersweet exactly. in a way. Yeah, we've right. had our fair share of sad stories on this yeah. show, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well. I thought of one other thing for, you know, I've been thinking on what song to play in everyone's head at one time. And I know we played Blink-182, but I kind of think we should have picked Yo-Yo Ma's Appalachian Waltz mm-hmm. one. Mm, that's a good one. I might yeah. want to switch my answer to that one. Yeah. That'd bring down the world's blood pressure a little bit. It would. Oh, it would, it would yeah. slow it down, and, and there's just something really... That's a really great one. Yeah. We saw I Yo-Yo Ma in concert. Yeah, that's another concert. Yeah. yeah that was really good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you, you, Mike. Anybody we make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Jared the Intern Gonzalez directed today's show. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're going back one year to episode 121 with Fort Myers legend Woody Hansen, recorded on June 19th of 2020. For his second song, Woody chose Abraham, Martin, and John by Dion, released in 1968 when he was in high school during a time of great historic turbulence here in the United States. Here, here we go. I mean, 68, the Tet Offensive, you know, Johnson suddenly not going to run, you know, seek the nomination of the presidency. And, you know, then after that, April the 4th, you got assassination. Dr. King, you know, and then June, you know, June the 6th, you got the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. It's like, literally, I mean, in 60, I mean, and I mean this, literally, you didn't know when you woke up the next day whether or not the earth was going to be here. I, I swear to you, I mean, the Vietnam War is blazing. And, and, and as we all know, it's like in the 60s, we... And color TV and the war was brought right into your living room. I mean, you know, these and all this stuff. So this song came out, you know, at, it, it, it was at a time of peak turbulence, you know, and, um, and it was almost like a pause, kind of like what we're going through now, the great pause, I call this. And it was like the psalm. And it just like calm down, everybody. Let's just take a breath, reflect. And uh, then we'll see where see where we're gonna go. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I have earbuds in my ear the entire day listening to music. 